Fame is a vapor. The only earthly certainty is oblivion. Oh boy. Can we help? You may make some people. I'll make the king and queen. I'm gonna make a soldier. Look at that little village. There, here's a buddy. Now we'll give them life. Moving. <laughs> Looks like my pap on Saturday night. <laughs> wow. Look, they're moving. There's like regular people. Salutations from the podcast Spinecrackers. Formerly and currently known as Spinecrackers. <laughs> uh, Gabe, let them hear your the beautiful sounds of domesticity. The, okay, all right. Yeah, otherwise just, it's too jarring. Just let it let it flow. Okay. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Otherwise they'll cut off. As long as you can still hear me. I want it. I, I love harsh. Harsh noise. The, basically mine is the Merzbau feed. And you uh, <laughs> that's what you're getting from mine. 
contact mics all over Gabe's house. Just it's just sort of ding out of nowhere. Is someone typing on a typewriter? It's it's ASMR, dude. It's ASMR. <laughs> it's it's fucking. It's like low key ambient uh, kitchen domesticity noises for ten hours to help you sleep. Fucking binaural sounds, dude. That's yeah. sick, dude. That's a good idea. Ten mm-hmm. hours of someone doing the dishes. Yeah, exactly. Driving. And like dinging toast and shit. Hell yeah. Man. That's sad. It's for someone who's sad. Yeah, it's true. It's for a depressed, <laughs> sad person. Oh, someone's doing the dishes and cooking me food. Oh, it makes me wife. feel like someone's here, like my mom. <laughs> I want to have sex. That doesn't with. sound sad at all. It sounds good. <laughs> well, today. Welcome. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome. Hey. Matthew here. Gabriel here. Paul here. Paul here. And hey, listen, all of us have very biblical names, and that's kind of of a piece with the, the story we're, we're reading. Damn, that's true. We're, our names are fucking biblical as shit. Yeah. yeah. Literally, Gabriel, the angel, appears in, in this, this novel. Book. Yeah, that's correct. Mm-hmm. At the end. Spoilers. St. Paul is and, a saint. And Matt, you, Actually, Matt, Matthew is one all of, of the my gospels, names are right? biblical. Yeah, I'm an apostle. Yeah, that's right. Paul Michael. Paul, well, should we say your whole name? Do you care? No, don't say my whole name. <laughs> okay, you were trying to Paul. fucking tell people where we were from when we were on Vietnam. Yeah, I was, but you guys halted me, Paul, and I didn't you're, say it. You're one of the most important apostles. You, you, your, your, your whole interpretation defines the Pauline sect of, you know, basically biblical interpretation. What do you think Did you say that? Paula Dean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Grease drippings and everything. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> Paula uh, Dean's a saint. That would have been more appropriate to talk about it, talk when we talk about Cain, because the, the N-word is in that book a lot. And Paula yes. Dean also famously also uses that word. She does, yes. yes. she does. Did she have day. a plantation-themed yes, get-together right. with, her, with her friends? Yikes. Oh my god, when I was on a... Uh... Sweet tea. <laughs> Was I, when I was on a on a road trip once, like years ago, I, w- I went through the Smoky Mountains and I came out of them after like three hours, and it was like ten o'clock at night, and I was in Tennessee, and there was this like f- eight lane highway that was just strips of like crazy shit, like the John Deere theme park. I don't know where it was, but it was like miles long, and one of them was uh, like a Paula Deen theme park or store or something and her her giant face was there Whoa. just staring at me in like neon lights and i was like where the fuck am i what is the okay here's a fun game what's the name of the polydian theme park because we have dollywood for dolly yeah. Parton and graceland in graceland what no i'm not saying actually look it up i'm saying be creative doofus yes. oh. do, do your Shit. job why do you do your job Paladinland. Paladinland. it's not oh no, no god terrible and this guy was just not getting on the board quick yeah, well. That's okay. Yeah, you put out, you put no idea is a bad idea. We and then we gather steam. Hershey, yeah. Hershey Park Ladine. <laughs> Fuck. How about the butter uh, zone? Six Six Flags Racist Mountain. <laughs> Fuck, dude. Uh. Fuck. Six Flags Overweight. <laughs> <laughs> Six Flags, and they're all the uh, youth, or the freaking stars and <laughs> okay. bars. That's good. Yeah, I how think about, that's uh, it. How about fat go karts? 
Guys, this is not a fat shaming podcast. I we have fat representation on this podcast. Yeah, it's Gabe me. Is our yeah, I'm, F, I'm F fat too, dude. Contingent. <laughs> we have F type individual on the. <laughs> God damn it. Um, so uh, we have a Patreon page. Everybody just want to get that out there at the beginning because we've forgotten to forever. Yeah. So if you've made it this far in the podcast, uh, you might like it, you might not. So uh, go check it out, patreon.com slash finecrackers. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel, Pretty Please, mm-hmm. and um, leave likes and comments on all of our fun videos where we showcase our various talents and talk about books and uh, make funny goofs and gags. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a goof and a spoof as well as being serious, so there's a lot for everybody. That's right. You know, we run the gamut. From serious and long uh, episodes to goofs and spoofs we want it to be like a like a mixture of like the lyceum <laughs> meets uh you know like uh, the upright citizens for oh god <laughs> jesus without the raper pay structure that's exploited <laughs> there you go yeah none of what matt said is true except the non using the we're not doing the bad things Yes, no, it's all, it's what it is, is it's good. <laughs> uh, well. But no, seriously, and I think what we've emphasized is please uh, comment. We love Just comments. Whatever wild shit you want to say. And we have people who comment some wild shit. We do. Yeah, we do. We want more. We want people to say whatever. Say good, Just say one word. Say one letter, even. <laughs> be right, well, careful about the word, careful. though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking of the word maybe good or great. Yeah, that's nice. Or amazing. Or or nice, in fact. Or books. Nice books. Or words. Literature. Damn. Alliteration. We should just have Luther as a guest. He's basically as a guest. That was Louise, by the way. That was my other guy. Oh, that was oh. Louise. Never mind. She has big energy. That was a big noise from a little dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shout outs. Uh-huh. Shout outs to my dogs. Um, uh, today we are discussing um, my, my my pick. Please, shout out to my dog. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here! Really, no. really, shout outs to my uh, my overly good microphone, apparently, and our our inability to do too much is high fidelity. I know, I know. Just call me John Cusack, baby. I just like you as being mayor's bow of the podcast right now. Alright, we're talking about a book. We're talking about a book. Uh, I already forgot his actual unabbreviated Theodore Frederick. What is it? The- the- Theodore Francis Powis. Francis Powis. Powis. T.F. Powis. Uh, his final novel, I believe. Yes. Unclay. Un- uh put out by New Directions, not in print since I believe the 30s. Uh, there was some insane gap where it was uh, it was like uh, Yeah, it was out of print for mad long. Yeah. But originally published what? 1931? Yeah. Yes. Did I get that first try? You did. Fuck yeah, dude. I own. That's the smartest thing I'm going to say this whole this whole episode. There's a fly in my room, and I'm going to unclay it by the end of the episode, for sure. <laughs> like Mr. Daddy. Yeah. Yes. 
It'll be, be Dunzo. Big thumb. This is a big ass thumb, dude. Just staring out the the fucking in window, just crushing flies like a psycho. Um. So so Matt, as you mentioned, Matt, your pick. Matt's pick. What's the what's the rationale? How did you hear about this book? Why did you want to read it? What the what the f, dude? What the yeah? What action? the fuck? I'm what kidding. the tf? What the tf? Palace. Uh, I actually was given this book as a gift by my grandmother. Oh, shout out to grandma. Yeah. I met That's her it. Today. That's my story. Cool. She was. She wrote. You want to hear the? Let's see what she wrote in the front. When did you Mary, give it to you? Last uh, this Christmas. Nice, last dude. Christmas, Hell yeah. Merry Christmas, 2020, Matt. Uh, thought you'd like a book about death, smiley face. That's creepy, dude. Last Christmas, I gave you my book. The very next day, you made a podcast. You could have said, the very next day, we it was on clay or whatever. You could have said something uh, like that. Well, okay. Well, it didn't really fit into the spine crackers. We got to re-record the whole episode now, dude. Jeez, Louise. Stupid. Well, my, my grandmother... Uh, she was an English teacher uh, for the deaf. Ooh, damn! So, which really? is kind of like a fascinating to me. Like I always ha- like <laughs> she. I don't know. She's very flip about the whole thing. But I'm like teaching English in like for for a while, not even a formally recognized like what? other language, right? Um, which was ASL at the time. I don't know if there's like different variants now. Um, so anyway, she's. <laughs> What? Just ASL taking me back to my uh, my aim fucking flirtation days, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Got pics? Question mark. <laughs> Got pics? ASL. <laughs> I never put that together. It's so sad. Yeah. Uh, fuck. Um, Sorry. So anyway, she's she's always got she's always got great recommendations, uh, and so this sort of just mysteriously was given to me as a gift. Nice, um, dude. And uh, it intrigued me. The cover is awesome, and uh, yeah. The cover. So, I, so the cover is this cool little like sketch fox and a scythe with a bone fucking handle. Yeah. Shout outs! Shout outs to uh, Peter Mendelson for New Directions, who. Uh, you know, sponsors this podcast unofficially. We actually, frankly, we sponsor New Directions. For with sure. How yeah. many books of theirs we buy and talk about on this fucking show? How many hours of free, mostly positive advertising have you gotten from us? A lot. And three copies of each book. True. Sold. Yeah. Yeah. The same, uh, the same copy. That's right. Um, but yeah, that's it. There's no, there's no like big, uh, you know, Affinity. I I I, uh, I vaguely knew that um, TF Powis had a. I think his older brother. Yeah, I think. I don't know if he was older or younger, but he definitely John, John Cowper. Cowper Powis uh, was, I think, the mo- the more famous of the two. Yes. Um, because really? he had that book, uh, Quincunx or whatever. Quincunx. Mm-hmm. Quincunx. That's a great. Uh, Isn't that a good word? Couple of words together. Is that that's one word? Quincunx. It's a wor- It's one word. Uh, it's always one of those. It was one of those books I would see in used bookstores all the time, and like was so tempted to buy. All Wait, the time. what? What are you talking about? Am I out of my? Am I off my shit? I'm looking up. I'm looking at his bibliography, and I don't see a Quincunx. There's a lot of fucking books with weird ass names. There's one called Jobber Scald. Oh, never mind. Never mind. And there's 
I, I, this is a novel by Charles Palliser. I don't know why I conflated the two. Okay, 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 okay. So, but but you are right that uh, John Cowper was the more famous of the two, uh, at least. Like I, I think both, like contemporaneously and critically after they were done writing. Yeah, um, but like we, like I think I mentioned earlier, you know, T.F. Pallas, uh well regarded but fell into obscurity and was out of print until very recently. And oh my god, <laughs> that was actually she throw me. up. She's she's hacking, dude. She might be barfing right now. I think she's good. I think she's good. Okay. I love it. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I think there was like a run of like 50 years where this book just like didn't exist. And uh, yeah, once again, big ups, NDP. And this edition, when was this edition published? This one was what? 2018, so last few years. Yeah, so really new. Um, yeah, that's like within the last ten years, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely within, within a decade's range for like I'm almost sure. For if sure. you think about it, it's also within the last fifteen years. Yeah, that's true. It's it definitely post two thousand. Yes, really. <laughs> <laughs> and even it's post nine eleven too, which is important. It's Ooh. important. <laughs> <laughs> when a couple of towers got unclaimed. Oh God, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Uh, oh god took a really sharp turn canceled depths. we're canceled <laughs> we love our heroes fdny never forget <laughs> yeah we support the troops yeah we do uh but but that's all that's my only rationale for reading this book cool so uh do you want to tell us what it's about quickly and as could like it's because there's, it's a, yeah. it's, it's. I actually think I don't know. Yeah, the plot's kind of simple. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. The setup. Yeah. The plot setup. Yeah, yeah, the setup. <clears throat> yes. So, um, basically, the physical instantiation of death, uh, is making its way to the small town of Daughter in the English countryside to unclay, which is the term for kill, um. Two people in the town. Uh, Death has their names written on a piece of sort of magical, you know, parchment uh, with God's holy writ underneath it. His name, the kind of logos, like written underneath it, uh, and he loses the parchment. Um, Stupid fucking idiot! Bumbling fool! Absolute man. loser! And he just loses it, uh, and he can't find it. And he's like, fuck, God's going to be so mad. Uh, yes. But, you know, all good things come to those who wait. I think I'm just going to, like, vibe here in Daughter for a while. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of, like, in this, like, incarnate form. And he kind of just takes up residence in this town of, like, colorful characters. And it's, uh, and he kind of learns a little bit, like, the ropes of, like, the human experience and uh, there's all these people in the town, and it's like a very small, you know, quote-unquote idyllic English countryside, but it's a very allegorical book, um, and everyone kind of represents a certain, like, human tendency or appetite or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, like, like archetypal uh, form of the human condition. Right. It's kind of like Meet Joe Black. A little bit, yeah. That's not a bad but, comparison, actually. Yeah, that's actually, that's, I was like, at first I was like, what? but then, yeah, it kind of is. 
It is, but better. Yeah. And I think the cringiest way I could describe the book, once again, to invoke he who shall not be named, is that this is a book about how love and death are the only two things <laughs> worth writing. <laughs> take a sip. Everyone take a, take a hit of that coffee, TM. Yeah, drink mm. that coffee. Drink that coffee, baby. <laughs> but yes, yeah, this is a book that's pretty explicitly about love and death. Uh, yes. As, as a sort of, yeah, as allegorical kind of archetypes. I think I would say, you know, and we'll get into this, you know, but your description of the town as filled with colorful characters is a little generous because this book also contains some of the most hideous, like terrible, disgusting <laughs> people that I've ever read about in a work of literature. And that includes, that's bar none. Yeah, it's not But great. they're also funny. They're also very funny. Even no. the most dour, disgusting ones are just like, I don't know. It, yeah. It's a funny book. It's it's definitely made me laugh. It is very funny, and I definitely laughed. But also take this as a as a content warning, I guess, if you want to, people listening. But uh, there is some fucked up shit in this book that yeah. that runs the gamut from like child sexual assault to like like sex worker fucking abuse, and it's it. There's definitely some fucked up shit in here. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean. I mean, that's what kind of is the funny setup is like, you know, the, 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 the scare quotes around idyllic right. are part of, it's like Fargo or something where it's like yes. the, the setting is part of the comedy. Like everyone has these cutesy manners and way of speaking and like the appearance is just, there's just a black abyss underneath it all. Yes. Um, and what's extra funny is that like, you know, Death is just walking around this town as like a, a tenant, uh, and uh, so there's all these like funny like he just doesn't even try to. He's just like my name's John uh, John uh, Death. Well, he doesn't he, yeah. he doesn't even say that right. He goes he because he, he's first met by the town priest right or whatever yeah. the the, the Mister Hayho Mister Hayho who's portrayed, and I think this is sort of interesting to think about Powis's view. He describes Hayho as like. This guy was such a dumb idiot. He still believed in like human goodness and happiness. What a dumb fucking dumb dumb. And it's you, you're not you're never really sure if Powis is saying that genuinely or as a sort of like ironic kind of jab at current sort of like disillusioned culture. You know what I mean? Like cynic, like uh, sort of like jabbing at cynicism in a sort of like how stupid do you have to be to think that the world could be you know, kind of decent. And, and Hey-Ho is painted as this, like, rube, this, like, innocent rube priest, yeah. uh, preacher, whatever. And um, uh, he meets Death, and he's like, what's your name? And Death goes, Death. And he's like, oh, I meant, oh, okay, well, what's your first name? And he's like, I think I know a family of Deaths over in the other county. <laughs> That's not an uncommon last name, I don't think. Yeah. Right? And, <laughs> right. and then he's like, and then the death is like, isn't the name of the guy he killed prior to entering daughter named John something? Yes. So he had, someone had killed themselves and death who is present at every death or like knows of every death of any living creature steals his clothes uh, for hanging from his body uh, on the tree in the wood. Yes. I, and that's what's so funny is like, hey, ho's like, I didn't someone kill themselves in like Marley Wood or whatever? And I, Wow, I mean, those jack that jacket and those pants and everything is uh, oddly similar. His name was John. <laughs> right, right. Like, yeah, I'm John Death. Uh, yeah. 
And he's like, ah, well, you're my best friend. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You're right. There's like a, um, there is a deeply sneering kind of tone for ev- but it, it everyone kind of gets it in equal turn and, and yes. I do think it's interesting that this book is is um it was yeah it was also unclear to me on various occasions it felt very religious and then completely cynical yeah and cynical um, I, I, I never really like settled on one or the other yeah that was one of the most interesting tensions in the book for me for sure because I, I did I did a, a, a modicum of background research on Powys and he kind of, he himself was a little bit, uh, you know, undecided on that question. Like he was a religious person, but like not, you know, it's also very cynical about organized religion in England at the time. And like, right. so he had all of these kind of religious um, predilections and sort of fundamental beliefs that structured his thinking, but also thought that the way religion was practiced was fucked, you know, sort of the, I don't, I don't want to tar him by saying he was a sort of like a spiritual, but not religious or whatever, <laughs> man. Um, but, uh, you know, something in that vein. Yeah. He's definitely not the guy who's like, God could be like this chair that we're looking yeah, at right now. <laughs> kind of like that 90 song. Well, well, actually, I mean, I don't. I actually don't know about that because one of the things that jumps out to me about the book, or jumped out to me, and you know, whatever, maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves, but the the personification in this book is everywhere. Like the the hill, True. the hill that sort of overlooks the town has this like mystical quality, which is called Matter Hill, um, which I think is interesting because. Isn't doddering like another term for kind of being like frail and mad and and like kind of yes and isn't it like an old timey term for like so it's like so a we, weak kind of yeah mentally unwell person. yeah so we have the town of Dodder being overlooked by Matter Hill and it is which I thought was kind of significant in some which way which is also the town is which the hill and the town itself are described as like being the body of an old crone yes so yeah they're like the organs also of like an elderly like potentially insane woman in the metaphor and then there's a there's a pond that gets a lot of uh uh like um you know metaphorical kind of personified treatment as well um and then there's a whole character who thinks that all women are different types of like nuts and fruits which which is which is sort of interesting and I would strange. More like uh, tubers and root vegetables. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, more of the root vegetables. Yeah, that's right. Um, turnips and shit. Well, I mean, that's another big thing is like the delusion of people because there's also a woman who thinks she's a camel, and I forget why she thinks she's a camel. I, I don't know if it's she ever... just kind of went. She went kind of insane, and that was based. I, uh, I don't remember. Wasn't exactly there some why, event but... that caused that to happen though? I don't recall. Yes, I don't remember though. There's a lot of like um, delusion here, uh, you know. That's one of the big. That's what was, <laughs> I, I think unsubtly is just like around. Like everyone's just kind of like, this is that. Yeah. You know, I'm actually this. Right. I'm, you know what I mean? Just like people, just like absolutely. It's not even like it's just delusion. People being absolutely delusional to like hide or like. Well, but that's well, the interesting thing is that there's there's the delusion there's the ones that are delusional like straightforwardly delusional like Mrs. Bertle or Brittle is it Bertle or Brittle I forgot 
the camel brittle brittle bridle or i don't know yeah, yeah. um and that but 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 then also there's death who's like no i'm death and it's literally true right yeah. it's not a delusion so there's that interesting like interplay between the delusions and then the realities and the way that they kind of like mingle and, and bleed together well here's a question i, I did want to you... say too but before we move on that daughter is actually also a indigenous wildflower to england interesting oh that's good um, to know and i think What's it look like? it's it's like uh like a really long plant i think it's like thin and it's really tall and i think some subspecies of it is uh parasitic Ooh, okay huh i wonder is it like um like a lot of flowers have an association with something else does it have any sort of symbolic significance like literarily there's a lot of flower shit in this book too there is a lot of flower shit yeah i don't know about your question Matt. but yeah well i think like there's you know the the majority of the action takes place in the shift into spring which i think is just a just supposed to be about life bursting around while death is living there to be like a kind of ironic again juxtaposition or whatever right i fucked that word up um this is a good time to read this book Yes. Yeah, true. It felt great. Yeah. All well, your seasonal allergies are making you want to die. My lawn looks yeah. like my lawn looks like fucking shit right now, dude. I don't like it too. It's, because yeah. you got some long ass daughters in there. I got some daughters. I got some fucking. I got. I need to get. I need to get a mower with a sharp scythe to come fucking do my lawn. You need to lawn. scythe it. Well, yeah. I do have a reason. It's because I'm leaving town for a month soon, and I'm. I'm. I'm waiting to mow it until like the day before I leave. You live. Would your neighborhood give you like? evil eye no 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 but i just don't because i don't want to fucking do it twice so i'm just gonna wait and do it the last minute and then hire someone to come do it like once or twice while i'm gone yeah um yeah so i think matt just got unclayed from the uh from the fucking recording for a second so his eyes closed that's fine so uh but yeah anyway that's interesting about the about daughter the the plant because there are a lot of like flowers and plants and and just yeah like the sort of blossoming of life in general and and the counter the counterposing of death play a big role in the in the the setting of the story like where it is and what time of year and all that yeah and also in terms of just like actual plot points of the story there's like some crucial moments Mm -hmm. that like when death actually reveals himself to a lot of people he ends up like sprinkling sand or dirt on spoilers flowers yeah and uh, killing a bunch of of uh, flowers in front of people that like slowly die in a beautiful way. Yeah. Do we know? Do, did you get a sense, Paul? Of like, did you think about like where? Maybe we should just. Oh, he maybe he's back. But um, did you? He's back. Is he back? Am I back. Yeah, you're back, baby. It's fine. We were just we were just fucking fine without you, dude. Just kidding. Oh, no, he's not back. Anyway, um. <laughs> what did you did you get a handle paul on where like when the book was supposed to be taking place did you get a sense that it was like before it was written or because like we don't get a definite like time period when the book is like taking place do we or i think maybe we're just supposed no. to assume that it's that it's modern. my back yeah 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 you're back baby you're sorry back. everybody i don't know <clears throat> what's wrong well i mean for uh most of the book i actually thought that it took place maybe like pre-1900 but then there was one line that talked about i forget the character but someone was going to get his van 
Yeah, there's a there's a car at the end, and I'm not sure if it's an actual car or a cart with a horse. But there's a I, there's a I van, too. I remember the word van being in there. Yeah, he does use the word van, which is a weird choice of words if it's not an actual car. Yeah, so I was I kind of unclear. Yeah, I'm not sure because my I was with you, Paul, more like because this is the question I had before I um, was destroyed by my connection. Uh, I also thought it was more like prior to the turn of the ninth or twentieth century. Like it felt like it was. It can't be like a van, van because like many like vans were like sixties and 1950s. Se- like nineteen sixties yeah. and seventies, yeah. right? Like I know, so I didn't even know that word was like an actual word. Yeah, it was. It was in kind of in the thirties. It was kind of jarring to see. When did Jane yeah. Austen write? Because Hey Ho loves Jane Austen. Yes. Uh, and she was firmly established and dead and gone so maybe that'll help well austin was very she died in 1817 so could have been any time between then and the early 1900s yeah yeah i don't know it just it definitely felt like before world war one for some reason Mm -hmm. um which again could very well be true this could have just only been published in 30 i don't know you know yeah but it felt like a like a Whatever the ideal, whatever the idea of the ideal uh, English countryside village was in the mm-hmm. mind of somebody, even in nineteen, you know, whatever twenty, late nineteen twenties or something. Right. I was actually picturing the village a little bit like the village of Bree from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Dude, definitely. Of course, of course. <laughs> right? Yeah, of course. And and I, I I will say like it's a very, I felt like I it it it, it did feel like. Uh, very intimate in that way. Like I felt like I had a handle on the village, like where the where the houses are are and where the church is situated. And then there's like, of course, the because this is old timey England. There's like the one kind of old school uh, aristocratic family that lives up in the big fucking mansion, the Bowmans. Yeah. Um, and they are not major players in the story, but they kind of pop in and out. Um, and everyone kind of works, you know, for or adjacent to them in some way. That was the, maybe that was the other big thing was just how the society was structured within the village felt like 1700s almost you know like almost borderline feudal right like yeah there's a big aristocratic family and a bunch of yeoman farmers and stuff uh, just working in his employ and then the, the hierarchy just trickled down yeah and I but just don't... Also, but I also don't know like the actual geography of certain small town villages even mm-hmm. in like the 20s and 30s england yeah you know, like people that, like villages that are very far removed from larger cities could have been still very rural and, yeah and very like uh you untouched know post 1900 like... and untouched yeah and i do think you kind of get that sense a little bit that this is kind of like a that it's a more modern it's like it takes place in more modern times but this village is kind of like particularly stuck in in a, a specific time period because there are points where later on in the book Bullman kind of laments the losing he's very obsessed specifically with bringing back one old school law that he's fallen out of favor which we'll talk about um uh but Bullman kind of you know is is lamenting the kind of modernization of certain aspects of english life like oh it was better back when you know this such and such could happen or blah 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 and he talks about how the king is uh, you know off his shit for doing this or that or other decision you know yeah yeah and it does start with bullman yes yes 
which I was never able to like. I, I forgot until I finished it. I was like, why would um, the you know the big fox hunt be some sort of like initial imagery that Pallas was trying to like impart? And the fox is also on the cover as death. So I was like really trying to like square those two, and I, I didn't really do it. I didn't either because yeah, the, you're right. The first chapter is kind of like feels a little. I mean, it could just be you know. Tone setting, context setting, whatever, but it opens with this big fox hunt that Bowman is on, and he kind of <laughs> he gets frustrated with a gate that he can't get open, and he kind of descends into this like pathetic, like cursing, like like you know, s fucking sweaty idiocy, right? Um, which is a f very funny, right? Yeah, this big man, and he's like, he's like doing combat with a gate as it's described, and like all these like. All the like ladies and, and people like observing the big hunt, which is like the most exciting thing that happens in the town, are like bored eventually, and he's right. like pissed that they're bored. Yeah, and the fox has like a little personality too. It's like um, it hates the hunt, but it's kind of respectful of uh, landed gentry. For yes, I don't know. It, it was very funny, but I couldn't make much of it. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think it was probably just kind of to. Because you also get introduced to Mr. Hayo that way, because he comes along and winds up opening the gate for Bullman. Yes. Um, and that's how he kind of gets the... Because Hayho had come to Daughter to try to to seek, basically, like, can I be the fucking priest of this town? Um, and him opening the gate is kind of his, like, entree into that 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 position, because Bullman's like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever, get the fuck out of here. I guess he literally, like, opens the story. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The gate is open. And Mr. I, I think like you were describing Mr. Hayhoe's. Yeah, he he is a he is both a derisible, dumb dumb simpleton, but he's also the sweetest, most genuine person mm -hmm. probably in the whole story. Mm -hmm. uh, and anyone with those characteristics, even if they've faltered more than he does throughout the story. They're all they're all the most owned. Who? The, I don't know. Wait, who's the most owned? Like I don't know. Like uh, Joseph Bridal, right? Yeah. The other kind of only nice dude in the town. Yes. Yes. Well, so I think Solly is kind of nice. He's a he's Solly's the weird guy who like. He's a weird, <clears throat> Valsell like. Yes. Insane, yes. He thinks women. He thinks women are turnips and cabbages. Like, and he and he and he plants thick nut bushes around his house to keep love away. To, to keep yeah, love away. Like, you know, it's the opposite of love. Thick nut. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, true. Actually, well, no. So it's many, the same. There's so many like sex puns in the in the book. Yeah. There's oh, yeah. funny lines where like I forget who ends up falling in love with that guy, but Winnie. He's like. Winnie, a nine-year-old girl. Yeah. She talks about his nuts and how much she like liked. Yeah, she wants to eat them. his nuts. Yep. Yeah. 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 You're very. Yep. That's the joke. That's the joke. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> but the but I mean yeah the maybe we should talk a little bit more because we're still kind of early on. We should maybe talk a little bit more about the kind of cast of characters, like who makes up this town, and because it is a really like interesting, you know, and and as I think you referenced earlier, Matt, they all kind of. They're not flat characters, but they all kind of represent like a specific human tendency, whether whether it's some kind of hideous vice or some sort of sense of innocence or or, or whatever, right? You have yeah. you have the the town miser who is um, uh, Susie Daw's father, uh, James Daw, mm -hmm. 
uh, and you have the the kind of weird eccentric who thinks women are turnips, uh, and Mr. Solly, and then you have the Bullmans, and then you have the farmer, Farmer Mir, who is kind of like, are you... Squire? I think that he's referred to as a squire a few times. I'm not sure if that's like an actual title, but he's, regardless, he's sort of the, um, kind of like the puppeteer behind the whole town. Like the, you know, he's like the real power center because he's the richest person. He's a farmer and blah, 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 blah. The Bullmans are the, the sort of aristocratic family, but Mir is really kind of the down in the muck, like power broker in the town. Um, and everyone kind of has to answer to him. And then you have um, the bridles. He's a sadist, dude. That guy is fucking sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the he is the worst one. Uh, Daw is pretty bad. Susie's dad is pretty bad. Uh, well, yeah. Daw, Daw, and Mir kind of create their own little binary star yeah. of evil that kind of makes everything run as well. And ultimately, a big part of the plot revolves around in the second, in the latter half of the book, at least, Daw trying to sell his daughter Susie off to Mir, even with the full knowledge that Mir is probably going to like torture and kill her like pretty quickly. Yes. Um, As revenge for her jokingly hiding a, a piece of like envelope with like two coins in it for yeah. half a second. Yes, exactly. <laughs> He's like, I'm gonna sentence you to death. For this. Yes, and he, and he also watches her change in her through a hole in the wall in her room to kind of like observe her physical development as a specimen to like better better evaluate her value as a thing to sell, which is fucking so sick. Yes, just non sexually like praising her nude body for like market value to mm-hmm. suitors. So yeah. gross. Yeah, his whole, like, description of, like, that whole, like, it was very brief, but that little chapter just kind of describing how he views everything. Yeah. As just, like, you know, accumulation for its own sake and, like, I mean, he's the resident capitalist, I suppose. Uh, Mir, too, but Dawes specifically, like, he's referred to as, like, the miser, you know, he, like... Right. Any, any, yeah, right, accumulation for accumulation's sake. Right. I got and, like, the sense that a lot of having a value. Yeah. I got a the... I got a sense that a lot of this a lot of the characters seem to be like exasperated and um not totally realistic, but I I don't actually know. Like um You mean exaggerated? Like that Yeah, like exaggerated, yeah. Um but I also don't know because it's like a different it's obviously like almost a hundred years ago. Well, I think I, I think you're right because I think that's kind of part of what Powis was doing, right? Like this is a an al- like a, a, a straightforwardly allegorical novel. We have death, and then somewhere in the mix there we have love, who is implied to be another like physically manifesting kind of thing, but we never meet particularly, right? But right. death, I think death at one point refers to him as his brother or his sibling or his sister, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then again, all of these other characters are kind of also like, you know, Daw is greed and Mir is like malice and, you know, Heiho is innocence or whatever and, you know, and so on and so forth. 
And so I think the characters are kind of like flattened in that way, or as you said, Paul, like overly exaggerated in their characteristics, but, but it's, it's for a purpose, I think. Yeah. I think Eho yeah. is more like, um, I don't know what, what I'm trying to, it's not religiosity, but like, uh, piousness. Yeah. Where, and like, same with his, his wife, Priscilla. Mm-hmm. Um, although she's also like sort of grief personified a little bit too. Yes. Cause like she kind of just wants to, her, her, their child died and she's just kind of always willing to do anything to get the child back. And she kind of wants to kill herself by the end of it. Yeah. You know, to see her child again. Yeah, once again, love and grief, uh, death being, you know, mirror, mirror images. It's the only thing so worth writing about, dude. dude. Honestly, dude. <laughs> this reminds me of uh, love, love, Death, and Robots by Oh God Show by Netflix. By Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I love Death and Robots by Reed Hastings. There's <laughs> 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 what is it? Is Love and Robots? Whatever the fuck God it is. Damn, it sounds like a fucking Chuck Klosterman book. Mm. Oh God, fuck! Um, That's a throwback that I didn't need to hear. I'm sorry, man. Uh, I lost my train of thought here. We got daughter, da- daughter, Rock City. Daisy, Daisy, she's like the the, Daisy. Whore with the heart of gold. Yep, yep. Uh, also, presumably, pretty much all the women who have sex in this book are definitely underage, from what we would consider now to be of age. Yes, I mean, there's a lot of like, like men and women are also another binary that like. Mm-hmm. Like, it gets pretty brutal. With I mean, both both of these like sexes as defined in the book are like bad men are like it's 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 kind of the classic like men are like mo- animalistic monsters yeah. when it comes to the like lust and sexuality and then like women are kind of like conniving like mercurial creatures who are willing to like deceive. Yes. <laughs> like, those seem to be the two characterizings of like the genders in the book. And I don't, and the most extreme example of that is there's a character that's introduced, uh, very near the end of the book. Um, uh, Mr. Bally boy, oh my God. uh, who, who like, <laughs> who, whose goal in life, his whole thing is like, well, why the fuck can't I marry an animal? It's better than marrying a woman. I just want to fucking marry and yeah. have sex with an animal. He's like, they're beasts of burden at best anyway. And if anything, the frontal cortex get, makes them mouthy and kind of, like, annoying. Yeah, yeah. So but like, then there ends up being an actual horse. animal. There's an animal-human in the town who's a camel. So yep. it ends up working <laughs> it's, out. It's, it's perfect. perfect. <laughs> I thought it was kind of beautiful in a way. It, no, was, no. it was, like, the perfect meet-cute right at the end. Like, yeah, yeah. So you're, like, a camel or whatever? And she's like, Well, yeah. he, I think he meets, meets her and he's like, that. yeah, she's definitely a camel. <laughs> No, at one point he's like, she's like, I don't know, like I met John Death and he made me wonder if maybe I was delusional. And he's like, you're a camel. <laughs> <laughs> and we're getting married ne- next month. Yeah, next month. And when I come back, you better still, you're a camel, okay? You better be a fucking camel <laughs> forever. You better be a camel, all right? And, you know, I mean, I think the way we're describing it, and it is jarring to read these sort of like reductive and like, like very you know, hashtag problematic descriptions of, you know, women and blah, blah, blah. But, but it's not, that's not the, you know, I, I don't think, I certainly don't think that was Powis's actual views. And I think that they were sort of meant yeah, to be no. in, embedded in this, lar- this sort of, again, this larger allegory where everything kind of has a purpose and a sort of, you know, a reference point. Um, and so, yeah. 
Yeah, but not, not only that, not only is he like calculated in in his descriptions, but I also would say that it's it's also a very different time too, and where those kind of ideas were probably like an element in his psyche, even though even if he didn't actually believe them, he probably know, knew people. Oh, sure. That believe them. I mean, I'm just born curious. in like, I the late 1800s. I wonder if even touching on something like bestiality, while certainly not something that was never talked about ever, even in literature at the time, I just wonder if that made 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 this book destined for obscurity. Mm. If, it were, if it were like shadow banned in a sense. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I know, just I was looking a little bit earlier, and I know some of his brother's books that I know nothing about. I have no, 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 I know nothing about his brother's books or what his writing was about. But I know some of them were only published after being heavily censored. I don't know what for or why, but certainly, I mean, like British, uh, like yeah. obscenity laws are like notoriously um, censorious, you know? Right. Uh, and so I, I, I imagine, I, yeah, there, there could have been some of that going on here as well, for sure. If there was yeah. anything censored in this book, it'd be pretty amazing to see, <laughs> to know what it would what be. What it would be. I feel like a lot of it was left in. The whole thing. <laughs> Just, I mean, it feels like the now. whole thing was there. I mean, I don't think it's censored or was. I think it was just straight up uh, no longer <laughs> yeah. printed whatsoever. Right. Uh, but, you know, I think we were saying, like, you know, even reading it now, I was, yeah, I was shocked. Definitely. At moments. And it's so funny because you're reading it in this very, like, um, I wasn't. Semi, semi-biblical, <laughs> like, somewhat floral British prose of the 1930s. And it's like, you know, so it all reads as very, like, genteel and kind of, like, nice, like you're reading a, a fairy tale or mm. something. Oh, Definitely. And then it's just about, like, but then there's just, like, dying and pedophiles and fucking corpses bubbling out of the lake and just, like, rape. It's just, like, yeah. I I feel like it made it real effective. Oh, totally. It it goes back and forth between, you know, as you say, I mean, even some of the descriptions of of sex, right? It's just like they were married together and like yes. shit, shit like that. A and good then spot of fun in the briar patch. Yeah, right? yeah. But then but then yeah, there's these scenes of like fucking like worms crawling out of people's like ripped tongues and shit. Like it, it's just like what the fuck? Um even the dude killing flies in the bar was like gross. Very like, gross. All those dudes when they become way too horny, like they start talking about That's a um, great fucking scene. Which I thought was yeah. such a good scene, and like, I don't know. I, I, do you guys ever watch like um, Andrew Callaghan, like the All Gas No Breaks, but he does like Channel Five now. I've watched like, All Gas No Breaks, but I don't know the new thing. Well, he like visits like just whenever he visits like frat shit. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt so like he, that for sure. Yeah, like he went and visited like Florida recently and did like some interviews with people, and there's just like date rape, you know horrific vibes under everything that he really plays but I like I don't know so like that bar scene where they're all they're all talking about Susie Daw this is when this is when James Daw is initially like making the offer to Mir for his daughter he's making (coughs) the sale and they're getting drunker and Mir is like getting hornier and he's like saying what he's gonna do and all the other men are like vicariously getting like horny as well and they're all trashed (laughs) i mean a guy's just like smearing flies all over the window pane just like (laughs) so fucking wild it was so disgusting um and then but 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 then of course like you know what i uh i i have a few lines from that section underlined that are that i just that i just wrote you near next to 
Um, so this is uh, them talking about, uh, yeah, like, okay, uh, what, what's going to happen when Mir gets a hold of Susie? Um, this is this is Daddy, the guy, or Dotty, I don't know, D-A-D-Y, the guy who's killing the flies. Yeah. Daddy. Let's call him, da- Let's call him Dotty. Daddy. I like Daddy. Yeah, we're Daddy. <laughs> it's probably Davy or something, I don't know. Um, anyway, Daddy laughed loudly. Farmer will be, rare, will be a rare one at the work, he called out, and will thrash finally with his flail, but most like will only be his old joints that are shaken when wedding night do come. Every, every man, this is on page 106, by the way. Every man now clamored to speak, and all spoke at once. Only Solly remained silent. Each man knew Susie. Each saw her now. All that was foul in man was cast upon her. Her breasts were spat upon, and loathsome slime poured out upon her. Each, each man saw her as his to ravish brutally. Even Solly saw her as a young lettuce that he was cutting for his dinner, and shook his head nervously. <laughs> so fucking gross. Oh. Uh. I know, and like, yeah, it's like you, you, like Solly is kind of the good one, but he's also like, well, because he's the one who only sees them as fucking vegetables. <laughs> he's just afraid like... of love. Yeah, exactly. Because like love, you know, love is is eventually characterized as like a sort of equally terrible god, if not more. Yes, like scarier than death. Yeah, because like death is certain, and love is like this. I don't know. Yeah, there's like an ancient quality to death. Whereas love is like this weirder thing um, that really like fucks people up and ultimately leads them to death. <laughs> in, in, anyway, in that yeah, I think sense, there's a line that says that like death is something that will come to all men or in women and it's unavoidable, but love is something equal to death that can be avoided, and that's kind of that guy's uh, mm-hmm. point philosophy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. There's um, a lot of there's a lot of great like. You know, maybe maybe I could I could see someone reading this book and thinking that some of these 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 aspects were tiresome, but there's a lot of good kind of soliloquizing about about love and death and the relationship thereof and and sort of you know uh, the the sort of human journey to the grave. Can I um can I read yeah, like the, every uh, page? Yeah, yeah. The the top, like the head of every chapter basically starts off with some sort of way more. Like the language gets at a higher like tenor, you know yes. what I mean? Like, yes. uh, and sort of like theorizes a little bit more. Um, yeah, there's always like something in each in each chapter I found to be like really beautiful or yeah pithy, at least in the context of the book. Um, I wanted to read the characterization of of the village though from the chapter in, on page forty seven called "An Old Woman's Eye." Oh yeah, which is again an example of this kind of thing. It's the top of a chapter. Um, but it goes, every village whose buildings were first made of mud has the soul of an old woman. Her spirit is everywhere. She is never seen, and yet she guides all the doings that go on. If one stands upon Matter Hill and looks down upon Daughter, her lineaments may be discovered. Her forehead is the green, and her nose is the church tower. She is neither Miss Pettifer nor Miss Fancy, and yet she is a person. When she laughs, a horse runs away with a wagon, crashes through a gate, and frightens everyone. And when she smiles, a man is lowered into a grave. The old, the old woman's soul has but one eye, which is Joe Bridal's pond. When she winks, there's a flash of lightning. And when she sleeps, the water weeds close over the pond. It has been said that all the worlds are tiny cells in the brain of God. And so why should not all daughter dwell in one old woman? So fucking good. That's such so a, good. I love that, you know. And I wonder, you know, I, I wonder what the significance is of, like, sort of, 
personifying the whole kind of ecosystem of daughter as this one specifically old, an old woman right like why why that right why not uh, you know i don't know I'm a young woman or a young man or any other you know i, I think it's interesting yeah yeah i thought i just thought it was an interesting choice to sort of paint daughter in, in that way i think daughter is i think that's more in line with what we were saying before like daughter and then like something old i don't know something mm -hmm. old and, and, and enfeebled almost well yeah. it almost i mean maybe the simpleton answer may, might be a little bit of like mother earth in there I, you know, I, that's like, a good point totally um, i think there are the women are the ones that are being like so discriminated against over the years in daughter and they are the ones that have the reflective capabilities mm -hmm. also why the, would that not be associated with an old woman right because there's the homonym of just right that's what it is daughter like the daughter of somebody right uh, right so i don't know yeah. if that also counts Definitely. I mean, I think it's interesting, like, the, you know, the Mother Earth stuff and this personification of, like, the natural, like, you know, there are, there's, in this book, there are birds, there are flowers, there are, you know, animals that carry a lot of sort of, like, metaphorical, allegorical weight. And I felt like, you know, it for, for a book that is so, you know, um, on the face of it, Christian, right? It's about God and it's about death, having this, this fucking order, which is still just the premise is hilarious that death just loses this fucking slip of paper. Yeah. Like, that's just so funny to me. And he's like, well, fuck it, fuck it. I'm going to take a vacation. Um, but, but it was also very like, <clears throat> it felt very like, particularly in those scenes where we talked about, right? A, the personification of the animals and the flowers and the trees and all that, but also some of those scenes where we talked about the fucking, like, dead zombified bodies rising up out of the pond and, like, all this. Mm -hmm. It felt very, like, pagan almost to me. Like, very, like, occult sort of, like, old-timey religion um, for, for, for the context in a way that I thought was interesting for a book that is so, like, on the face of it, you know, steeped in Christianity. I don't know if you guys picked up on that or, or have thoughts about it, but that was something that, that crossed my mind also. And especially, you know, in terms of like, oh, death is this like walking fucking thing, right? Like that's not, that's not a Christian thing. That's a, that's like a. Well, I picked up on the, uh, there, there, I forget where it was in the book, but uh, John death talks about how death like himself is just kind of, it's uh, he, he is across culture and across religion and mm -hmm. across time. Right. Um, and that, I think that plays to your point a little bit. Is that, like, it's a cemented idea, death, and the idea of like a, a death-like entity is older than Christianity. And there's, um, there's a lot of animism, too. Like, yes. You know, like you said, like, yeah, th there, there's maybe a sort of monotheistic entity of, you know or something but you know yeah I, I don't think anything is explicitly christian i think maybe we're getting that confused with the the speaking of god and then the, and then the angels and, and stuff being involved but like right yeah th there is enough criticism of the church in some on some level and like especially dogmatism and people like hey-ho who you know while while being blissfully ignorant um have have become so because they are believers right but it's not really the case and they are obviously very clearly blissfully ignorant but still ignorant you know like they still don't fucking get what's happening actually yeah um and so it's it's sort of rendered an opiate in the in like the way it's portrayed in the book 
I also think that like, yeah, no, I think that's a really good way to put it. I mean, I, and I think that like one of the things that, that sort of made me kind of start thinking about this in terms of like, um, you know, uh, the, the kind of like Christianity, but also not Christianity of it was that death specifically as a character, he's not just, you know, there, cause there are other stories like this where like death becomes personified and like tries out being a human for a little while. Like this meet book Joe came, Black. meet Joe black or this, this, <laughs> this book came out three years before death takes a holiday, which is 1930, right. 1934, like sort of like pre code kind of like ROM, romantic drama um and in that movie death is kind of this like you know he's like i just kind of want to see what it's like he's like i don't get it why are people afraid of me like what's the issue da 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 and he's like this kind of you know ignorant not ignorant but you know he doesn't understand the ways the mysterious ways of humans um but in this story john death is and i think maybe it's significant that he has that first name that it's that, that 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 is part of his humanization right because he has plenty of human flaws as well he like does a lot of fucked up shit and he gets angry and jealous and uh he's not he reminded me the characterization of john death in this story reminded me much more of like almost like a greek god in the old greek stories than it did anything in modern christianity um where these sort of entities are are cast in a very different light I think yeah, that I think that's right to me too. Especially because in Meet Joe Black, Brad Pitt is kind of like a Greek god. Like his body is like a Greek god's. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was Achilles as well. Right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so you know, but I might be mistaken. But I think there's seven more seven deadly sins. Christianity. Christianity. Exactly, it's all coming together. <laughs> Dev, Def, uh, Death, Love, and Robots. Uh, David Fincher, which also is he worked with the. Uh, Reed Hastings, Brad Pitt, and <laughs> multiple things. So. But oh, I think there's man. more. There's more instances of stories, and maybe I'm totally off my rocker. But I think there's more kinds of stories of like gods falling to earth. Like I mean, is like Hercules is one of them, right? Little like, Nicky, the story of Hercules. <laughs> Little Nicky is another good example. <laughs> yeah. You know. Get in the flask. Yeah, exactly. You guys dude. remember? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um, yeah not, I don't. I don't sure. know enough about Greek myth. I mean, I know a little bit of Greek. I don't know about specifically because Hercules was. He was born of Zeus and yeah. like a human woman or something. Right. So Hercules um, is a little different. He wasn't a purely celestial entity. No, I, I kind of agree with you, like in the sense that the you know the gods in Greek and, and Roman myth are are. Are just are they're just human beings, but they're just Basically, very powerful. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, to be fair, I, I don't think death gets jealous, or death describes jealousy as a new thing. Like, it's part part of his actual education that he's taken by surprise. With like, he gets hurt for the first time physically. Like, right. he experiences jealousy. Like, he'd never done this before. This thing. True. Um, True. And his notion as as it being a holiday is also, you know, the joke is that he goes to a place where it should be the perfect spot to do it, and you're never away from even the greatest evils of humanity. Right. No matter no matter where you go on this, you know, on this earth. Because uh, I forget, he describes it at some point as being like, um, his conception of the human life was work and play, and that was it. Yep. That's to- like, I think I, that's towards the end. He's like, I don't, yeah, because he, he was like, I don't get why people... You know, I, I'm kind of inevitable. I don't get why people are afraid of me. Like, I do kind of the the nicest thing possible. 
right. in my in my estimation to any living thing, which is stop it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um and uh yeah, he he's like but he does get like a kind of something like empathy for people or a greater conception of like the breadth of human suffering and experience almost because he's like I thought people just like did their job and then they just like played games and fucked and that was it yeah there's all, but there's all this other stuff and I and it's and it does suck and I kind of I kind of hate it and understand a little bit better right there's a it reminds me this is a crass and I know people have mixed feelings about about this show but there's a scene in um uh, uh the good place the the recent so the Kristen Bell show which I love whatever some people hate it but have you guys have you seen it? No, you keep telling us to watch it. No. But I you really it. should. I know it's whatever, but you should watch it. It's actually really good, I think. But anyway, there's a scene in that movie or in that show. Maybe this is spoilers. Maybe I shouldn't tell you, but um, there's a scene in that movie where they they are talking to that show's equivalent of God, and she comes down and goes to Earth for like three minutes, and she's like, "That fucking sucked. Like, what the fuck is going on down there?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so it's just like that disconnect between, right, like the lives of these kind of entities versus the day-to-day of like actual, the sort of like shitty mess that is humanity. Right, like what they've done with this interim period where they're like a, a, a being, you know, existing in the world. Uh, Gabe's doing a scary Joker <laughs> face while he smokes a jewel. Jewelker. <laughs> You don't, you, you don't smoke a jewel, you suck a jewel. You yeah. rip you rip a jewel. You rip you pu- and you shoot milky fat clouds that's, at jewel. That's right, dude. Um, um But yeah, so so it's it, Def doesn't really like get humbled or anything. He's just kinda taken by surprise. If anything, he gets more pissed over the course of the book. <laughs> right? He he, he he like by the end of it by the end of the book he's like just kind of super pissed. And you know he he. I'm trying to fuck. Where's my parchment? This where, sucks. And ultimately his scythe gets stolen as well. He's <laughs> like these fucking. And he's people, like these yeah. fucking assholes, dude. What the fuck is going on? Mr. Mears steals Death's scythe so he could do extra cruel shit to yeah. Susie Dog. <laughs> dude, it's fucked. He's like, I'm gonna it slit you. <laughs> he's like, I'm gonna fucking slit you. Well, so the other thing I'm we should. Slit you. We. <laughs> So the other thing we probably should say is that, and this is not a spoiler because it happens in like the third chapter, but you 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 know from the very beginning of the book the two names that are written on the parchment, right? You yeah. you know who Death was sent to the town to unclay, and it's Susie Daw and um, Joe Bridal, who's they're kind of like the star-crossed lovers who Joe you know, Biden, Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Biden, the, the beautiful, innocent, perfect character. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Um, so so you know that from the beginning, but Death doesn't know it. So Bridal ultimately finds the parchment floating. And if I, I have it marked somewhere, but if anyone has yeah, it marked, yeah. has, has it marked it more readily accessible than I do, the scene where Bridal finds the parchment floating in the lake and grabs it, it's so disturbing and nightmarish and insane, and I loved it. Um but uh, so you know that from the beginning, and 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 Bridal and Daw Susie Daw's fates are like sealed from the third chapter or some shit. Although not, you know, at first, like Bridal kind of 
at, in turns sometimes gets kind of cocky now that he had he gets the parchment and then part of him's like i'm gonna live forever now yeah yes exactly and he, he, he tries to fight death like three times doesn't he and he wins a bunch yeah which is you know i i don't know if there's some sort of jacob versus the angel thing mm-hmm. going on there as well but like he beats up death a little bit right and he's like damn all right i'm immortal Right. Uh, but ultimately like you know love conquers his his will to a, an earthly clay bound existence yeah exactly clay fighters dude i'm <laughs> the, the 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 memes write themselves for all our for all our instagram and twitter fans the uh the memes uh are gonna be lit for this one mm-hmm. um but yes <clears throat> did 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 anyone have yeah, someone should read that part. I'm going to look, but I don't have it immediately in front of me. I do have it. Okay, I found it. <clears throat> so, this is on page 62. Um, the chapter is The Name. And uh, th- also, interestingly, like, the way this book is written, there's, like, 60 fucking chapters in this book. It's very short, like, chopped up. Yeah. Like, the way that it's kind of structured, which maybe we, we could talk about. Um Okay, so this is a li- this is a little bit long, but I think it's worth reading. Um, so th- so again, this pond takes on this kind of like supernatural quality, and and, and Bridal um, finds the paper in the pond. Joe Bridal looked from the horse to the great elm tree that grew nearby. What was happening to the tree? Though no wind blew, the whole tree bowed towards the pond as if a great tempest had blown upon it. Above the field, certain rooks were flying. The rooks behaved wildly, rushing downward with a fierce sound, then flying off in fear. Joe Bridle looked into the pond. Where the waters were black, though near the edge of the pond, he saw something floating. What was it? The thing looked like thick paper or parchment, and Joe Bridle could see that there were words written upon it. Then a strange thing happened to the paper. It began to flame. Though floating upon the water, it was on fire. A marvelous tongue of flame rose from it, golden at first, and then scarlet. The paper burned in the water, and yet it was not consumed. Joe Bridle knew that he was near a dreadful thing. He might have fled, and yet did not do so. The parchment that had the power to burn, and yet could not be consumed, held him in his place. Joe Bridle was not without strength. He had power, love. He was on fire, too. He burnt, and yet was not destroyed and he alone might take the paper out of the water without being harmed by it. Joe Bridle leaned over the pond. He stretched out his hand and took the paper. At the moment when he touched it, the tongue of flame uh, that rose from it vanished. Joe Bridle held in his hand only a piece of parchment. As soon as he had touched this, there came a low mutter of thunder. Clouds gathered in the sky, and all grew dark. Though he held the paper in his hand, Joe Bridle dared not look at it, but he looked into the pond, the waters of of which had grown very clear. As Joe Bridle bent over the pond, two dead corpses rose up, but when he thought he knew their sodden, dead faces, the waters thickened and the faces vanished. That's, that's, uh, th- 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 there's, there's more to it, but I, I can keep going. Um, Joseph gazed, gazed into the sky, that a spring morning had looked fair, should turn so dismal, was very strange. But often clouds came, come unexpectedly, and when they drop suddenly from nowhere and the sun is hid, the country people say that a blight has come. Joe Bridle held the parchment firmly. He wondered why, but he soon knew. A sudden tempest rising, it seemed, out of the pond rushed by him and and tried to tear the paper away. A few weeks ago, before he had spoken to Susie, he would have let it go. But now he held tightly to what he had found, for the power upholding him was love. Though a quiet, peace-loving man, he had now the strength and fury of a god. 
When the wind grew still, other things happened. Horrid creatures, great pond beasts, newts, and vipers swarmed about him in the darkness. A year-old corpse crawled out of the water and clutched at the paper with foul, dripping fingers. <laughs> then the light of many little burning candles shone over the pond, and a lovely nymph with tangled hair in which water flowers were entwined came to Joseph out of the pond. She begged him to ease her desire, to embrace him, to embrace her. She lay near to him, looking up at him with soft eyes, then suddenly she sprang up and tried to snatch the paper from his hand, then she vanished. After the nymph there came a beautiful naked boy who knelt down beside the pond in order to see his own loveliness in the water. He gazed for a while, uh, as though ravished by the sight, and then, coming to Joe Bridal and kneeling down again, begged for the paper with soft words and a strange tongue. He wept and stretched out his hands, but Joe Bridal held the palm parchment firmly and would not let it go. Next, a huge toad with splendid glowing eyes like coals of fire crept out of the pond and, pressing his great soft body against bridles, <laughs> tried to force him into the water. The monster was, was covered with slime and stank foully, but Joe Bridal held the nice. paper. Sounds nice, dude. I want to feel it. But yeah, Joe Bridal held the paper and did not move. Love makes a man stubborn. Whatever the paper was, Joe Bridal did not mean to let it go. Joe looked boldly about him. He believed he had a right to keep what he had found. Soon he heard sounds like dying groans, and from the bottom of the pond there rose up a mass of decayed carrion. What he had seen before was nothing to this new horror. The pond was changed. It was become a charnel yard, full of cadavers, all visible. A hideous stench surrounded him. Fleshly corruption in its most revolting and dreadful forms clung, clung to him. A snake, crawling out of the body of a child, raised its head and hissed at him. Pond newts swarmed over the breasts of a woman who was newly drowned. Fingers soiled with grave mold tried to pluck the paper away, but all in vain, for Joe Bridal would not let it go. Then the cloud lifted, and the pond looked as usual. The sun shone again, and a lark rose up from the green meadow to sing. Joe Bridal felt bolder. He even dared to look at the paper which he held in his hand. It was quite dry, and appeared neither to have burnt by fire nor soiled by the water. Upon the top of the paper was written a command, and underneath that word, two names. Unclay, Susie Daw, Joseph Bridal. I think, like, I, I don't what know. Sick sequence. So sick. I know it went on for longer than I expected it to, but it's so fucking good. Yeah. Well, you had to read the whole thing because you had to get to the like what was actually written on the parchment, though. Yeah, you had to. And you know, like, it could be argued. I feel like it could be argued that like Joseph Bridal was possessed by yeah. love. Like the god of love is like more polymorphous and like, uh, yeah. I, I get. But yeah, that's what like, it feels like when you are in love and the god has you. You're, god you're has possessed. You. Right. It, I mean, it felt it felt very much like uh, this sequence kind of felt like uh, like we talked about earlier, like a fairy tale like sequence. Like, yeah. You know, things keep or like different characters keep coming and coming and to solidify the point of what's happening. Right. <laughs> that's kind of true on Definitely. different levels. <laughs> yeah. Wait, was that a pun on coming, or did yes. I miss that? Yes, okay. people okay, are good. coming all the time. Yes. Well, uh, the, yeah. the, the, the other thing that I'll say... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I didn't just laugh. <clears throat> I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else were you, you going to say, Matt? Oh, no, no, no. I was just, you know... Come. Nothing. Nothing. Come. <laughs> uh. Come, ha. 
Um, the, the other thing that I, that I was going to say about that sequence and about some, like, and to me, this gets back to what I was saying earlier about the kind of like pagan old timey religion aspects of this book is that shout outs to our YouTube channel. Um, I don't know if anyone's been watching, but me and Matt recently did an episode on Arthur Machen and yeah. he's a very like weird old timey, uh, British Isles religion -y and shit. And, um, all of this talk in that sequence and there's elsewhere in this book about nymphs and like toads and snakes yeah. crawling out of people's mouths and shit. Um, it's very consonant with the way Machen writes in his kind of horror, scarier sequences. And, and I think that like there, and Machen was writing earlier um, yeah. than, uh, uh, than Powis is, but like it seems to partake in some of that same kind of like pagan animism and like weird nymphs and people speaking in tongues. And then there's that image of um, a narcissist looking into the pond, right? Yeah. And like, uh, which well, the, gets the back Greek to the old Greek shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or the, and the yeah. Roman kind of like imprint, literally, that was on, on Great Britain, and like that, like still like, retaining whatever energies are there, you know, like none of that gets lost. And so I think that like you know the, you, we've been throwing around a little also bit. Also, like, camels were imprinted because they it, England took over uh, India. Are camels in India? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if there are camels in India. Are there? <laughs> Well, it took over a lot of northern Africa to not sound like a complete idiot, but isn't a whole other spot? But yeah, I think most of North Africa was it's, French. It's, it's fine. Close. It's whatever. It's fine. They're close. Um, Maybe but... like five hundred miles apart. <laughs> 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 oh God, we're canceled. But 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 anyway, we, we've been we've been throwing around this idea that this is kind of like a fairy tale, and I think that it is right in a sense in that in that old school sense, right of like f at like weird like dark fairies and dark nymphs and fucking these yeah. these dark creatures that are out carnival there. Carnival Row. Yeah, Carnival Row, dude. <laughs> fucking. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. Sorry, I'm not just. But no, it reminded me a little bit of. Uh, Amazon. It reminded me a little probably. bit of the white people. Which was that was a yeah. Mackin story, right? Yeah, Mackin. Yeah. yeah. So maybe yeah, I didn't really make the the pagan connection when I was reading it, but I, I was I was mostly thinking of just some like darker psychological, humanistic element associated with death and love, mm -hmm. which is, you know, maybe a part of the pagan culture, but uh, definitely like not totally associated with Christianity. No, in terms of talking about Christianity, or just maybe the the fact that um, uh, it was kind of it was kind of a less uh, clear boundary at earlier points in history, and I I think, I mean, I think that like some portion of Christianity like was a sort of cleanup, like cherry picking of pagan stuff and then like removing certain other aspects of oh, it definitely right i don't know I, I i used to know this but um yeah how, like how the those Jews histories were are contiguous and <laughs> yeah sorry i was cleaning well, up the jew yeah <laughs> the jesus christ <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well yeah i mean like i don't know the, I think the Jews created a monotheistic God, um, which I think is is what is, changes the paganism th aspect a little bit here, is that there is still, like, 
the big guy upstairs kind of notion. There is a boss. There's a big boss. Yeah. And uh, he's not even necessarily, or it is not necessarily uh, portrayed as something good. Like it could, it seems almost like it could be demiurgical or something. Because at, at some point, there's like the whole idea, of like you know, God made man in, in His image. But then it's funny because they take the narcissist myth and go so that he can stare at himself all day like a fucking weirdo. Right. Right. And, and that death is destroying that creation. And in, in those blessed moments, stopping God from being a complete narcissist himself, which is just was like a very interesting way to describe the dynamic of like death and life. Well, and later on, later on, towards the end of the book, death is sort of talking about like um, <clears throat> why, why God sort of made people die in the first place. And he talks about it as being this kind of like occluded mirror or this like imperfect mirror. And death is like a way to keep God from like fully seeing his own reflection almost. Right. right? Yeah. Which is also a throwback to that, that narcissist reference. I just never heard, you know, that particular spin on, on things offered before, you know, I yeah. thought it was kind of cool, a cool idea. Well, and also, Death talks about, um, later in the book, he talks about his, like, call to existence was basically second to God. And his, it, basically, his existence was to end life, because if humans don't end their lives, if, if their lives don't end, they will go into eternity and basically go insane and become miserable. Right. And I thought that the uh, the, the description, I forget, I wish I underlined it, but when death was talking about just how matter of fact it would be for humans if they were to live forever. Cause I think he's talking about how um, he's talking about himself dying and he's going to die. And if, if he does die, um, he wishes be, he could, right? Yeah. He wishes he could. And he, uh, he's like accepting of the fact that humans will just live this very different life life than they have. In, in all of eternity and they will be miserable and die and never die right like him and it's very and it's yeah. very matter of fact and very uh i don't know i thought it was very beautiful and like clear and also i was like oh yeah i don't want to live forever anymore that would suck well so so this is so so one of the sort of like catalyzing events for death kind of like contemplating his own death or or wishing for it is he he falls in love with Susie daw right as well Right. And he kind There's of... There's a love triangle, kind of, that, that is the crux of right. the story, for the most part. I'm pretty sure that's the girl's name in Meet Joe Black. Let me look it up. <laughs> that would be sick if it was. That would be crazy if it was. Um, but so, so this is, like, where... And basically, like, him and Susie make a sort of, like, suicide pact, right? Where yeah. they're like, we're going to go dig a grave together, and I'm going to kill you, and then I'm going to fucking try to find okay. a way to die. Okay, I was right. Her name is Susan in uh, it, in Micho Black. Is it really? Yeah, and I had a weird... I've watched that movie like five times, and I had a feeling. I was like, it's fucking Susie or what's Susan her, or what's something. What's her last name? What's her last name? Parrish. Oh, funny joke. Parrish. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. Yeah. That is I, kind of yeah. interesting. I wonder, you know. If you're the director of Micho Black, come on the podcast. We'd love to talk to you about if you were yeah. influenced by. If there's any Micho Black podcasts, uh, <laughs> come on the show. Or um, Brad Pitt. I know you're a patron, but if you want to come on, go oh, for yeah. it. Oh yeah, 
I know, yeah, Brad Pitt's a top-tier Patreon, patron. He's $5, a little chintzy, but... That's not, yeah, yeah he's not top-tier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, so... <laughs> but so, so I, I have a passage that's sort of about um, kind of death wanting wanting to die and kind of, like, talking about his origin and, and how he kind of views this whole thing and his, his sort of love uh, for, for, for Susie. Um, and this is, I think, sort of where he confesses to her his real identity as death itself and not just a guy named John Death. So this is on two... Which two, people hilariously never pick up on the whole time. And it's so funny, like, just reading the story, like, every time someone's like, they said, like, Death did this. It's just funny. It's just, it, it's constantly yeah. funny. Um, so anyway... Everyone's in love with death, which is funny. Yeah. Well, right. That's the other thing. People f- fall in love with death and kind of like yearn for death and all of that sort of stuff. So it's kind of like this, you know, Freudian, uh, you know, Thanatos kind of uh, death drive thing, which I think is interesting. Anyway. Uh, it's kind of like penis envy. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely penis envy in this book. <laughs> there is. What do you think this all is? All this... All this uh... Matt's got the graph of desire behind him, the jouissance yeah. and the Lacanian shit. Frustration voice. I assure you, said Death. I, looking... I just have a giant penis behind me. Arrows, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude. I assure you, said Death, looking upon her very lovingly, that you are that though a certain book called Wisdom states that I am not created by God, by God, but am only here because of man's sin. Yet I tell you, Susie, that no untruth ever written has been so untrue as that lie. I am born of the sorrows of God. I am the second child, made as all things are made, of His Spirit, of His love. Look upon me. Am I not the most true consolation? Am I not the most blessed angel of abiding love? You will find no husband as faithful as me. Even Joe Bridal, whom you love and who certainly loves you too, will, if you wed him, let you go down into the pit alone, leave you there, and return to his own house. Come to me, and I will be with you forever. Susie drew Death to her and kissed him lovingly upon the mouth. Death whispered to her, Yes, she said in answer to him, I will come to you in the daughter churchyard tonight when the first star, the holy evening star, is in the sky. You will be sure to dig the grave, our bed, in which we shall sleep together, and you will give me your love. Love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a, a huge element of truth to that because, I mean, when Death says that he's like the second incarnation, but it's also kind of like what humans will think of most of all as being like the most true, that being a existentialist millennial myself, um, <laughs> what, do you, what do I think of more? I think more of my own death and my own creation. So even though Death is like second in line, it, it kind of takes a, a first place value to a lot i mean to like humanity maybe yep maybe that's a grand statement but yeah well no because you know because part of the part of the point right is that like what whatever uh kind of weird detente you can achieve between these two gods that kind of are regarded as running most of the all the affairs of human existence for the most part and but and the, the one thing that death and arrows seem lacking are just awareness of the multifold fucking nuanced ways in which it they mix and sort of manifest within human beings. Right. But, you know, the idea is that because the two are inevitable or not inevitable, but the two are are part and parcel of each other and, and never distinct, that like your th- the thoughts of your death might result in you, you know, creating something or, you know right? Like there's just the like two. Like having goals. a baby. 
having a kid is one example, uh, but also, you know, like making some, doing some great work, you know, works or whatever, whether that be art or building something or fucking creating a bit, you make know, a, just whatever, whatever like generative making a podcast. <laughs> doing this. <laughs> well, I regard this as sort of an edifice of ideas that we're constructing brick by brick, which is each episode, you know what I mean? And it's going to live on for fucking ever. For fucking ever, and the internet will never disappear at some point. It's, no, no chance, no chance. <laughs> yeah. I also, um, I unline, underline this stuff. Uh, this is on 218. Um, just another meditation. You're, uh, you're, you're a little choppy right now, Moral. Am I in the danger zone? You're in the danger zone, baby. Yeah, let's wait maybe I, 30 seconds and talk about You sound like uh, <laughs> a replicant. Like you're being auto tuned. All right, try now, yeah. Moral. There you go, baby. Yeah, you're good. Now. Do I sound okay? Yeah. I don't know what's yeah. happening. All right. I have this whole page dog-eared, by the way. Oh, Me tight. Too. All right. We all on the same page with that? I think so. Literally? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, each man drank heavily. They drank to death. They had drunk healths before, but never such as this. They knew that they drank to a great king, the only king to whom a proper loyalty and worship should ever be rendered. All must bow low to him. All other lordship is as nothing to his. He alone is the supreme power, and what is the dust of a hundred generations to him? A little heap of ashes, a few bones, that is all. Within the strange darkness of the black cloud that now filled the tavern parlor, a phosphorescent light emanated from the drinkers that guided landlord Titball <laughs> uh, to them <laughs> to fill their cups. Everyone laughed and drank, and strong liquor was needed to keep up the merriment, for each, uh, for each to each other looked curiously. They saw one another as cadavers. Those who in life were ugly were worse now. Out of the rotting eye of Mr. Mere, a worm crawled, and yet the farmer drank each cup with renewed relish. Old Huddy raised his uh, mug to his lips that were but blackened gums and drank to death, who eases every laborer's task, laying him down in a bed from whence no farm cock can hurry him at dawn. Fuck yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, there's more and more. I mean, it does keep going, but yeah, you know. You I, wasn't I, I, wasn't trying to I wasn't trying to stop you, but just that, that line, I just wrote fuck next to it. Oh, but here, okay, so here's like the, um... Next to the farm chunk, cock, you wrote fuck. The chunk, <laughs> fuck, dude. Eros. Uh, <laughs> the, the chunk that I was, like, trying to link with art and stuff is, um, on page 219, it's, uh, one member of the Bullman family had, uh, in very olden times, made excellent verses. It was to his coffin that John Death applied a gimlet. The rich wet red wine ran free. The cups were filled so fast that John hardly needed a little bone, uh, needed a little bone that he had found to check the flow. Death had gone to work knowingly. He had tapped the right corpse. Beauty is eternal. He drew wine that flows forever. Uh, Dude. You know, and you know, in there is like this glimmer, right? Like there's always this, there is this absolute, like he goes to the, the darkest places in this book and, and people are, they're not just despicable. They're you know they're they're the worst. They're mon the the most monstrous you can be. Uh, but yeah, the the thing that kind of keeps you uh, on your back foot every uh, the whole time. I I was reading it anyway. Is just like these yeah these nods to beauty or what feel like you know genuine earnest spiritual and or religious sentiments coming through. Absolutely. And like you were describing earlier that like Powis was a very conflicted person about his faith and whatnot. And like, 
I, I feel like if that's true and is to be taken like seriously, then this does feel like a pretty decent description of just the pain of that, the you know the psychic discomfort of that. Absolutely. I mean, I think that there were. I, I mean, there were there, like we're, we've we've sort of been talking a lot about. And, you know, we've read some of these passages, but like, yeah, there's a lot of um, kind of. You know, I think this book really is exactly what you said, Matt. It's this interplay. It's this back and forth. It's this tension. This apor- right. this aporia between like this deep appreciation of like what it is that life as a human has to offer. And I do think that this is important for Powis in the sense of all this animism and sort of like all of these personification of non-human entities, because he's in some ways kind of blurring the line, right? Between the human and the non-human, but also trying to find and sort of like isolate that about being human that is special and, and, and beautiful and worth sort of preserving. Right. Yeah. It's like these ideas are already reified. Right. Why not just literally have them interact with us? I um so the angel Gabriel eventually comes down to intervene. Uh talks to Winnie. While, talks to Winnie. Uh was he Tinker Jar or who's Tinker Jar? Dude, this is one of the for me one of the most uh open-ended questions in the story. I like I thought it was like going to be God. But yeah, so there's this weird kind of drifter guy who, I don't know what a tinker was at the time. I don't know if it was just like a little like used wares salesman or what. Yeah, I think it's just some guy who like was just like could fix shit and like yeah. was a sort of handyman of sorts. Yeah, and he's always seen up on Matter Hill and he's there at a lot of these like pivotal moments. Like he sort of like at one point intervenes to save Winnie who's running away from death when death is like angry at one point. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think the implication was potentially that he was the angel all, all along who was kind of like observing death's activity potentially. Right. But I'm not also, sure. Also, the lore Nark. is funny because Total death. Narc. <laughs> Narker <Narker> jar. <laughs> nah, I don't know. Uh... <laughs> Narc, Narc real. God damn. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, your name, Gabe. Yeah. Are you an arc? Yeah. Uh, well, no. Okay. No, you're not. There you're we not go. an arc at all. It's official. Uh, fuck. What was I? I forgot. I completely. You were talking about. You were talking about Tinker Jar and whether or not he was the Angel Gabriel and. Oh well, I just there was a lot of like interesting lore about Death's powers. I mean, Death is definitely moody and goth, as you would expect him to be. Yes. Uh, and he has these weird abilities. Like, he's, sometimes he doesn't seem to get tired, but then other times, like, the fact of his corporealizing like this uh, tires him or, like, he, he, he finds certain human behaviors overpowering and, and completely, they, like, are like his kryptonite almost. Like, right. He can't deal with like vivaciousness or like being made fun of very easily or which I don't know if these are supposed to be like different forms of love and in, in, more subtly rendered as just like liveliness, like life. I don't know what you guys thought about that and like what he's able to do. He can sometimes, it seems like he can teleport occasionally when he needs to. Uh, just weird stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, there's that scene that Paul referenced earlier where he like kind of like finally comes out and there's this, there's this whole hilarious like 30 pages or so, or like these few chapters where it turns into this kind of like comic 
scene at the Bowman estate where the Bowmans are like trying to catch someone who they think might be a thief and it's death and his his sort of like big reveal to everybody is he like grabs this dirt and sprinkles it over the flowers and they all die right right um and so he has but at the same time so he has freedom to exert his powers over some things right like the flowers but he can't it's 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 stated a number of times that he can't just decide to kill someone right like at one point he wants to kill joe bridal but this is before he knows that his name was written on the paper and so he can't actually kill him because right. it wasn't ordered or he doesn't know that it was ordered and so he's like limited by what orders that he gives at least with respect or, or the orders that he gets at least with respect to humans but has some leeway with other things seemingly yeah he can make coins appear pennies just, half pennies well he, he kind of he makes like and i think this is in in line with what gabe was saying about like greek and roman stuff he he makes like roman like dinars or whatever yeah. like, like older coins appear in his hand he just gives, gives them to people like just he pays for like a half penny beer with like thousands of them worth of just like one gold coin they're like holy shit yeah, thanks <laughs> Old money, yeah. shout, out, shout out to Ubik. Ubik, dude. Oh, speaking uh, of Ubik, <laughs> well, keep finish what you were going to say, Matt. No, no, I, you, I, I want to hear about this Ubik thing. I wanted to talk about the names in this book compared to last week's Ubik. Less how, funny. Less funny, but just, like, fucking great. And also, the repetitive nature is actually, like, a little congruent with Ubik. Like, repeatedly saying Joe Chip over and over again <laughs> in Ubik. That's true. But... Also repeatedly saying, like, Joe Bridal within, like, five pages over and over again. I feel like there's a um, pun in literally every name that I'm sometimes not picking up on. Like, Mr. Yeah, Titball, tit it's like... Uh, that might be a little online of us. Yeah. Like, Titballs? I don't know. Might be a little bit millennial of us. Yeah, like, our generation after 70 maybe, or almost 90 years. Maybe in what we're picking up on, but I, I still am suspicious of just like sort of a, a kind of Dickensian everyone's yeah. kind of, um, pun name it might just not be what we recognize. well still yeah, I think yeah, my yeah. point my point honestly is is that I thought the the names were were at least thought out more I mean if every like, if every book is a, is a sequel to the last book um, <laughs> true and we're thinking about that in terms of that uh, I well, just thought that the, the names were I thought the names were awesome and like really they fit within the and even even the name of daughter was thought out and um mm -hmm. very british feeling right yeah although i i will say that for like the first half of the book i was reading it in a southern accent really <laughs> yeah. what for real why <laughs> i don't know i just it like naturally came to me i thought of like a southern town uh, <laughs> in a, in the u.s not the southern uk damn give us a taste well i was reading a lot of the uh the quotes of different characters in a southern accent in my head. Well, the um, for they no are reason. written. They are written in this weird um, regional colloquial way that like right seemed strange to me even as as English accented. Like they say "baint" instead of "I I ain't." Yeah, I baint going to do that, and it felt a little bit like the old English version where like different letters used to just meet, sound different in front of stuff or something. Yeah, like. I think I, I keep reading the word thick, but I think it was this or them. 
or them or something yeah yeah there was definitely some some interesting linguistic uh uh dimensions to the book for sure which again made me put this at at an earlier date than like the turn of the 20th century Mm, mm. you know and maybe again i know england is a patchwork of very distinct accents and very small distances but uh yeah, I, I didn't know where to place this by this. Maybe someone else with more knowledge could, but it felt old school. Shout-outs to any English dialect podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Come on. We're just English people in general that listen. True. Just would know what this is. True. I mean, Powys is a region in Wales, again, linked to Machen, Uh So I don't know if TF Powys is, is Welsh, but... I read somewhere that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I read somewhere that there was some significance to the setting of this book... In terms of like where it's supposed to take place in in England, in the sense that, and spe- it was specifically religious that like there was some oh. some like low like um you know reluctance or or some some holding on to like the older ways or whatever in this part of the country at the time, um, both politically and religiously. And I think that that might feed into what he's trying to do in terms of the kind of like pagan Christian nexus. Right. And also the equalizing of all evils being <laughs> everywhere, no matter how right. quaint and, and, and old throwback you are culturally. Right. But, uh, oh, I, so do you think that Mr. Bullman because he wants to reinstate like prima noctis basically for everyone's wedding night explain what that is do you think he's just a bull and it's cucking oh god (laughs) jesus christ (laughs) yeah and that's online of me to ask in a way although in our reading right paul like cuckoldry is is still somehow a theme even all I, i feel like we read pretty disparate things but like it still crops up in like weird places, so it's always been a joke, kind of for, you know, a joke in a reality too. A, a, right, exactly. Because of reality, it's funny because it's true, kind of thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> um. So even in the like, I, I don't know. I'd say we've read books mostly on this show, like within a, a hundred and twenty year span or something, a hundred and fifty year span. We haven't really yeah. gone. Have we done anything older than like the eighteen nineties? No, I feel like uh, like Dickens. Dickens. And Dickens. Mockins might might be the oldest, but Dickens might be older. I think yeah. Now I'm just sorry. I'm gonna look up. I'm gonna look up Charles Dickens. Yeah, let's Google Charles Dickens. I'm gonna pull this up. Charles Dickens. Yeah, yeah, older, older. Eighteen, eighteen. 30s 40s got you although like pretty close to like the generation before Machin. i never so realized he, what he looked like dickens is, <laughs> dickens. is, is he actual yeah, like pictures of him. he's kind of funny looking <laughs> now it's just like the worst podcast material i'm like <laughs> this guy's well, funny is your looking que- that i'm looking at is your question like how long uh cuckery has been around yeah, my question was like, what what is the uh, you know of the sample size of books we've been reading? What That's is Dickens. Time? <laughs> Are you fucking know, kidding right? me? I don't know, folks. I don't know what to tell you. Just look up Charles Dickens. It's actually he's he's more fun looking than you would expect. He looks like a bad Civil War general, like someone who <laughs> failed and like 
Grover Cleveland took over for him. I think everyone just loved that kind of facial hair, dude. You talking about yeah, Palace's but... mustache? No, no about uh, awesome Dickens' looking. mustache. Oh. Have you ever looked up Charles Dickens? No, never heard of the guy. He looks in. He does not look like what I thought he looked like. I think I thought. Or does he? I don't know. I don't no, know. Pal- Palace. I don't really have... Palace is kind of a handsome guy. Yeah, Palace has got the mustache, dude. Yeah, his mustache is strong, and he kind of he kind of looks like Jakov Lind. Oh, ooh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, Palace does. Maybe for like our our next Q and A podcast that we're doing next week, spoilers, we should talk about um, the hottest authors we've. Uh, <laughs> ooh, that's actually a good idea. <laughs> Who's the Mary, hottest? Mary fuck kill who we've read. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we got to do that. Um, other thoughts, boys, other things you underlined, other things you, you, that jumped out to you. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, we, we should say the, the big sort of twist at the end, the message that Gabriel delivers to Winnie ultimately, which is narratively somewhat satisfying is that, um, the two villains of the story Basically, the the worst of the worst, uh, Mir and Daw, are themselves to be unclaid prior to um, Susie and Bridal. There is an comeuppance, yes. Yes. There is kind of like, these men have been rendered this, this heinous and disgusting for reasons that will be morally rectified mm-hmm. in, in the classic sense. Like right. They're dead. And so, yeah, so... And then the and then the ending of the story is as predicted early on. So so death gets the message um, from one of these the, the children in the town, Winnie, who speaks to Gabriel, and he brings uh, she brings death the message that Mir and Daw are to be unclaid. And actually, Susie Daw, at the moment that Mir is about to cut her with death's scythe, takes the scythe from him and then kills him. Right. So death doesn't actually swing the final blow on on Mir. Uh, Susie does. Right. So hashtag girl boss. Yes. Mm. Hashtag girl boss moment. Once again, I believe hot girl summer. But the, <laughs> this was hot girl and boy summer because True. Bridal and Daw both get their, and I believe they both end up being kind of like Eros's avatars. Like they, the reason they both get to wield these powers that that blur the line in like you know meat space with death is because they. Like uh. love is a god that just like lives in whatever. Thank right. you so and it, much, and, Paul. And, and it, it no, I think you're right, Matt. And then it imbues you with like sort of vaguely superhuman powers, right? Like that's isn't. I think at some point there's a thing that like because Susie, I I, I thought that at one point Death mentions that like he's the only one who can use the scythe to kill anybody else. Yeah. Um. But then Susie takes it from Mir and kills him with it. And death is death is just chilling there and he's like nice nice cut, like nice slice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, damn. So she becomes his like little like apprentice in the last moments of the book. Yes, and then promptly dies with Joe Bridal. And then promptly dies by by walking into the pond with her love, Joe Bridal, her true love. Right. The pond being this like locus point of both things as well, both like Matter Hill becomes in, like enchanted with the pond 
Yes. And has its own narcissist moment as as like this weird old woman metaphor where the hill is like her head or something. And, and the, But earlier the pond is described as its eye also. As her eye, which, you know, mirror of the soul, blah, 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 window of the soul, mirror. Yes. I don't know. It's all like, I think, nicely layered. Um, I'm trying to find that line about earth being like a mirror for God, but I, I, I can't find it. I, uh... I also just on 302 I had a little chunk. Let's go. Um which goes uh Mr. Hayho is lying fast asleep he said with his forehead upon the holy bible. Uh why should we not be happy? And this is death talking to Priscilla now. Hayho's um, wife. Right. Uh here is your child's grave. I kill and love gives life, but in reality we are one and the same. We often exchange our weapons. And then tis I that give life and love that kills. I have taken upon me during my holiday the usual follies that men do to pass the time with, and I have seen that it is truly my presence that all men need to make them glad. The earthly ending after the brave folly that is called life is ended is God's largesse to man, and I am a bringer of the gift. And then she says, a sad mistake has been made. In the midst of the firmament is set a tiny mirror. There you go. The earth. And God has seen his own face in this glass. In this mirror, God saw uh, himself as man. When a deathly numbness overcomes a body, when the flesh corrupts and the color of the face is changed in the grave, then I have done for man more than love can do. For I have changed a foolish and unnatural craving into everlasting content. In all the love feats, I take my proper part. When a new life begins to form in the womb, my seeds are there, as well as loves. We are bound together in the same knot. I could be happy lying with you now, and one day you will be glad to lie with me. So that's like, dude, so good. I like, just like, yeah, that's like some actual fucking like philosophical juice. Yes, and, and that's and, kind of like, it just feels like one of those. Yeah, like, I, I, Powis does kind of like he's hitting you with this kind of fun stuff, but initially it's like these observations on like the follies of men and, right. and like these these types. Like, there's a great segment about. Uh, uh, Daw and like the sort of, you know, archetypal miser and all that like horrific mindset of that. But then, yeah, when he really towards the end and stuff like gets into this, this combo. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a. a this is not flip at all. That movie uh, Inside Out. Yeah. Where, <laughs> you know, you learn that the emotions are not distinct. Right. They create delicious gushers combo flavors that you can enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> what well, you want? I love that you went for Gushers combo flavors and not just the snack combos, which is superior. No, dude, they're completely different. Oh no different. way, dude! There's so okay. many things that are better than that, like even like Cookie Crisp. Well, what are we? Uh, what are we? This is apples and oranges, even more absurd. All right, we're gonna have to settle this on our Q and A podcast: Gushers yeah. versus combos, <laughs> like the throwdown. Versus combos are bullshit. Versus... I'm just gonna say it right now. No, dude. <laughs> Why can't we all just get along? They're all tasty. We cannot. Centrist, radical centrist view. But you're right, Matt. Um, yeah, and I, I love that little passage that I just read. I, I actually had another passage underlined from the next page as well, too, that I, that I really liked. Um, and this is, so, so, you know, Priscilla, hey-ho, throughout the whole book has been kind of like pining to see her dead son like one more time and at times has wished for death both the physical person and the, the actual concept. And so death kind of shows her this image of her child 
playing in the in the trees with other children like mm-hmm. right at the end finally and uh so I'll, I'll just this is like a couple pages later after what you read matt she peeped out of her hiding place and saw a company of merry children playing among the tombs they were the same children although a little younger as those who lived in shelton and who used sometimes to come and play in daughter but strangely enough the season of the year had changed Instead of summer leaves and signs of the signs of autumn were there. Yellow leaves hung from the trees and the fields were brown and bare. One of the children, a boy, laughed joyously. Priscilla would have run to him, only death prevented her. Priscilla held out her arms and called her child by name, but he saw her not, and in a few moments the children were gone. Though you supposed yourself to be under the yew, said death, when they stood beside the little grave again, yet in reality you were a great way off and saw what has been, as still being. You saw your child alive. I do not understand," said Priscilla. "Neither do I," answered Death. And I just think that that's like, yeah. there's there's sort of like there's more on heaven and earth moments even than even that that a, a, a literal sort of direct emanation of God can necessarily account for. Yes. And I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. And I do think that there there are some sort of like again right like you say Matt like there's the book is very readable and there's a blah, 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 but there's also a lot of shit that I'm going, I personally am going to come back to in this book and be and reread in certain lines and passages. And like, it's very kind of like, I don't know, as a meditation on death and fucking humanity and life. Like I found parts of it to be in a cringy, embarrassing way, like kind of helpful and kind of like shit. That sounds like a, a good way to sort of think about some of these issues. Yeah. It's like the best kinds of, 12, 12 rules for life. <laughs> no, yeah. As you're jeweling, it's the perfect way only, to say that. Only rape when you uh, are on a podcast. God. I'm oh. talking out of my mouth because I don't want the ideas to come out of my nose. <laughs> <laughs> it burns when they do. Uh, 12 rules for death. Ooh, 12 Rules for Death. Alternative title for this book? Yeah. <laughs> 12, 12 Rules for Love. Ooh, God. Third oh. title. <laughs> or how about um, Love, Death, and Robots? <laughs> <laughs> I th- I, I'm, I'm thinking, I was thinking Sex, Death, and Coffee. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, do we have final thoughts before we move to what I think is actually going to be kind of a juicy segment. Uh, no, I, I, I just, I wanted to agree with what you said before. Like uh, this is, this is kind of like my favorite type of, you know, profound, like meditative work where, where the things are simple that are being said in a way, like the language is not high theory or anything like that. It's not, syntactically and fucking lexically hard to break down and you're just like what the fuck and there's like but at the same time like it contains so much and like right. yeah so there's just there's like one of my favorite types of reading experiences like these kind of worry stone almost passages and phrases that you can sort of like I don't know work over for years yes yes yeah I think that this book definitely requires like multiple reads I feel like I'll, I will come back to this book at some point in the future yeah um, but yeah I thought I thought that the way that it was presented was very unique 
for one thing, like I, I think that uh, the writing was absolutely beautiful, and I don't think we talked about how funny it was enough, but it was hilarious. Like I was actually just like laughing yeah. a lot by like the cheeky writing, the cheeky cheeky English writing. Um, well, and just like yeah, just the 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 fact of death being the character's name. There are so many lines that have that double meaning. And right. sometimes they're funny, and sometimes they're sad, and sometimes they're fucked up. Yeah, I think that's my kind of my. That's one of my favorite things is when something can encompass like everything about life that I that I find interesting, which is you know humor, but also uh, this is a story written in the in the village of Bree, basically. But also, <laughs> it, there's like philosophical elements to it but also religious religious elements to it it, it, it encompassed a lot like a lot of ground um, it's got that in a very unique way british wit to it the, i don't think i've ever read a book like this i think we've talked about this before like with other books like i don't think i have it's this is a unique one it's a unique book there's a lot of uh, the, uh, the other way that i can think to put it is that there, there's a lot of lines in here that a younger me would be like that would be a sick tattoo, bro. Oh my god! I thought that <laughs> even now, as a twenty-five to thirty-five-year-old man. Uh, I was like, man. "Oh, should I get that tattooed on me tomorrow?" <laughs> <laughs> just like straight up, like little peep style, just like over your face. Yes, dude. Yeah, just John Death written across my nipples. <laughs> uh, oh my! Oh god. shit! John it's Death, just, O negative. It just says John Death, and there's a photorealistic tattoo of me, of Joe Black. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, that's fucking good. I'm a robot on my fucking tramp stamp. Yo, I know it's I I know it's uh, but that scene where Brad Pitt gets hit by the car is one of the funniest scenes of all un- unintentionally funniest scenes in any movie. Oh yeah, bad special effects. Uh, Double hit too. Double hit, yeah. Double hit by a car. <laughs> so handsome, yep. flirting, double hit by a car. <laughs> Ragdoll effects, very funny. Yeah, very funny. Go watch that on YouTube right now. TBS, very funny. Bum, bum. Oh, Paul's leaving. Okay. Bum, bum, ba, bum, 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 bum. Hello. Again, listener, you've now entered. We just. <laughs> yeah. You do yours, Matt. Do yours. Guess what we just read? Another fucking book, motherfuckers. I'll tell you what it wasn't Harry Potter. So Not Harry Potter. Cut us some fucking slack when we do this. Let us fucking just chill to Harry Potter vibes. This, yeah, I, this okay. One. Here's the thing, dude. This one, I think this segment might be kind of fucking long. Because I kind of want to do, like, all these characters. <laughs> uh, okay. Because there's a lot, and they all are distinct, and, like... But here's why I think it might not be... It's kind of straightforward, as, yeah. As you think, because, yeah, these people are actually also uncomplicated in a certain way. Yeah, you're right, you're right. All right, so, Paul, we were just saying, like, we kind of want to do all of these characters for Harry Potter, but... Shit. Also, it might be fast because they're kind of simple, in, or at least in the way that they're kind of like outlined. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's just fucking. How do we go? To, how do we? Where do we jump in here? Dude, let's Mr. leave Mirror. John Death let's... for last, just because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a god. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Dude, that guy's a god. Like Dumbledore. Uh, How about like, Winnie? Kinda like Winnie. Winnie is kind Gryffindor. of... I would say Winnie's definitely a Gryffindor, dude. She talks to an angel, and the angel's talking to her, and she's like, fuck you, dude. I'm leaving. Yeah. yeah. The, angel's like, <laughs> I, the angel's like, would you like to live forever? And she's like, I don't fucking trust your shit. How and then she's like, where are the fucking buttercups, bro? <laughs> yeah. yeah, give me some, uh, you know, fucking Werther's Originals, maybe, and we'll talk. I'm I want not. candy, bubblegum, <laughs> and taffies. Get to the <laughs> sweet shop with my sweet shop, Sandy. <laughs> no, MC Chris. <laughs> Shout outs. Uh, so yeah, Gryffindor. For Gryffindor for Winnie for yeah. sure. One um, for Griff. Mr. Mir, like the worst Slytherin, Slytherin, right? The worst Slytherin. Yeah, Death Eater. Yeah, totally. Literally. Yeah, he, yeah, he wouldn't even be a Slytherin. He'd be a fucking Death Eater. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's he'd also be, that. He'd speed. be in line for the throne. <laughs> <laughs> that was too weak. You gotta try again. I did. I wasn't trying. Just okay. I, I also just want to. I also just want to just flag to make one more like serious point. The scene, like, in t- talking about Powis is blurring the lines with, like, the human and the non-human and shit. There's that scene where, this is really fucked up, but, like, Mir is basically going to go in and, like, like rape and torture Susie. Um, and his dog is there, and he tries to sick his dog on her to, like, bite her and shit. And the dog yeah. is, like, no. And then he, like, beats the dog to death and then just bites her himself. Like, yes. so fucked, fucked up. up. Well, in like the next chapter, she's like not. She's on. She actually is convinced that the dog bit her because right. she's like almost too horrified to think that a man bit her. Trauma, trauma, PTSD, Iraq War. Also, just um, <laughs> shell shock. Yeah. Trench foot. Oh uh, Jesus! But then also there's the uh, the the more lightly written notion of a nine year old girl. Just slated to marry and just living with an old man. So creepy. Even if it's like all painted as like a little bit whimsical and yeah. like cute, it's like all right. Well, it's pedophilia. Yep, straight up. Yep. Which also makes up. me think that this is like. Although they don't have they don't have sex though. It's it makes me think that, that this is like fucking fourteen hundreds. Like it's like, that, yeah. That's why the line is is blurred so much in the story. Yeah, even, so like, even then. Even though 18 is not even the age of consent, I don't think, in the UK, she says she's going to wait till she's 18 to marry Solly. So there's some sort of, like, saving it or whatever. Something. But it's still very weird. Very weird. Um, Maybe there's, like, a personal age of consent for each individual. That's not right. Oh, my God. Nope, that's not <laughs> it. That's libertarian. That's libertarian <laughs> as fuck, dude. <laughs> that don't, was, uh, don't tread sarcasm. on my... Don't tread on sarcasm. Don't tread on my hard penis. <laughs> Unless I fucking love it. That's what that snake is. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Okay, so we did we did we, we did Winnie me. we did Winnie and we did Mir. So Mir. Daw also fucking Slytherin easy clap. Yeah, easy clap. Uh, yeah. two for Slytherin so far. Hey ho, hey ho, Hufflepuff all the way. Yeah, easy Hufflepuff. Loyal, love mm. God, loyal to whatever. Yep, just kind of a loyal dum dum. Little dumb, yep. dumb. Nice guy. Nice guy. Um, Priscilla is basically moaning Myrtle. Yeah, she's Hufflepuff to the core, but it's like dark Hufflepuff a little bit because she's like secretly uh, kind of like a little suicidal. Doesn't she have sex with death at one point? Or... I think that's implied. I don't yeah. know if I really got well, I don't know if it's I like will fully... to, I will say that I think Moaning, moaning Myrtle is Gryffindor because... Uh... Priscilla is definitely not Gryffindor, though. 
Yeah, but yeah. Morning Myrtle, I think okay. it, was, it was Gryffindor. <coughs> right. Was she? You know the Well, I mean, name. Harry met her in the bathroom, which I think was like the Gryffindor bathroom. Or was it Ravenclaw? I thought they just had public bathrooms. No, I, maybe you're right, but... What house was Moaning Myrtle? My oh, yeah. guess is is Gryffindor, and second place is Hufflepuff. Guess who was right? You. Yeah, Ravenclaw. Oh, so I thought like, you said Hufflepuff. It's okay. blue. Ravenclaw, it's blue. Okay. Anyway, so... Oh, my God. You fucking... Um, so, <laughs> who else we got here? Bull, uh, Bullman? Lord Bullman? Uh, uh, Slytherin. I don't think Slytherin. No, he's not. He's not, he's, he's he's not like, like evil. Pump, yeah, he's not evil. Well, okay. He's well, not. Can, I mean, you don't. You, you don't have to be evil, but you can still like like have evil deeds within you that you perform. I think he's Hufflepuff. He he is kind of just like a little kind of just like I don't know, but he's not like I don't know. He's not loyal. He's a little bit of Rodney Dangerfield, like I can't get no respect. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know? Yeah, definitely. I, I don't know definitely. what that is, but right, that, what f- that feels like Hufflepuff to me. You're right. Whatever yeah. Rodney Dangerfield is, that's Lord Bowman. <laughs> Whatever house Rodney Dangerfield is in Harry Potter, <laughs> that's what Lord Bowman is. <laughs> if that makes it clearer for everybody. Um, Susie Daw. Uh. Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw seems plausible. She's a little more curious than your average person. She's not yeah. sold on anybody. She's kind of out to like see what's out there. That's true. Mm. That's true. But Sounds she... like a Starfleet a Starfleet cadet. So I'm gonna say Ravenclaw too. But All she right. is she is very loyal to her terribly either evil father and to just throw another wrench in the gears here. She does fucking go full Gryffindor at the end and grab the scythe and kill Mister Mir. Mm. True, but is that a, mm, yeah? That's Ravenclaws true. can commit Gryffindor acts. That, okay, all right. A Raven and Gryffindor both have bird uh, elements. They both have claws. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> mm. wings, claws. But because claw, it's Ravenclaw. Right, Buckbeak. So, <laughs> Jesus. All right. Um, who else we got here? Mr. Titball, anyone? The in the innkeeper who we haven't talked about a lot, who worships Lord Bowman as a god. Hufflepuff, of course. Hufflepuff, dude. Easy, easy clap, Hufflepuff. Abs a bootlicker, yeah. fuck yeah. Yeah. Um Daddy, the fly killer. <laughs> Slytherin. Yeah. I think he's a Slytherin. Creepy Slytherin. I also totally. liked the idea that in the lore that even when Daddy was killing the flies. It was actually death. And he saw every single one. He saw every single He walked by every single time and was just like, boop. Yes. Yeah. Oh, dude, speaking of, again, just another point that we maybe missed in the main discussion, but there's the, the scene, I, I thought, like, I was thinking of this so cinematically and how creepy this would be, but that mm-hmm. scene with them in the bar, and then they hear death sharpening his scythe his down scythe. the road, and it's... And oh, the, that was, and, like, that was one of my favorite scenes. Dude, like, and the, the whole day, him, him sharpening his scythe. And how, like, in the beginning, they thought it was, like, beautiful, and the sound was, like, resonating with everyone in the town, and they were thinking, like, who is this worker that has time to uh, sharpen their blade all day? Yeah. But then, as it got, like, later in the day, they were like, fucking stop it. Who is paying this person to sharpen it that yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. And if yeah, they, they hit a rock, pissed. it's going to get dulled, like, really quickly, so what's even the fucking point? 
Right. It was and they're really making me look weird. bad. They're making me feel lazy. Yeah. yeah. Which is, that's the other thing I loved about that scene is that it's very like, and, and there's moments of this throughout the book. I wouldn't say that the book emphasizes this, but Powis clearly has an understanding of like working class mentality. It's like, well, I'm here getting drunk and like this, this guy's out here sharpening his blade all fucking night and interrupting my drinking. And like, he's making me look like a bad worker and I feel bad about it. Yeah, 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 that was actually an amazing line that I wish we we read more about. I actually wish we talked more about the, uh, like the blue collar type worker and the political aspect more. Yeah, that was an interesting element. It is lightly, it is more lightly touched upon in the book itself than I almost would want. You know, it, it, the book is somewhat longer, but like a, a, some larger portion of those people, those folks in the bar, would be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, Great not scene. Just horny guys that, uh, boom. <laughs> horny, horny, gooners. resentful men. Gooners. Yeah, yeah. Horny, resentful gooners. Um, gooners. Uh, who else? Who else we got? Oh, Solly, Mr. Solly. Oh, uh, God. He's remind a weird. Me, he's almost, remind me who. He's the one who thinks it? women are turnips and lettuce. He's a oh, Ravenclaw. Do you think he's a Ravenclaw? I think, I think he's a Hufflepuff. I think he's delusional, and I think he has this over. Uh, imaginary intellection, you know, intellectualizes like maybe a dumb way of putting it, but he's in his own. He's, he's in his own head. Out to be at, in, living a life of the mind and That's not trying true. to be uh, physically involved. True. Maybe he's so disciplined that he's a uh, Gryffindor. Ooh, that's interesting. Ooh, I would buy the Gryffindor thing almost like because he's the he's a Gryffindor. He, he's the only one who feels bad about what goes down in the bar. Valsel Gryffindor. Yeah, Valsel Gryffindor. That's it. I mean, Nailed yeah, it. That's it. Um, Feels good to really get it. Hmm. Uh, what about uh, Miss Bridal, Camel Lady? Oh, Hufflepuff. <laughs> I'm going to say Hufflepuff. I don't know. She's Luna Lovegood. Ravenclaw. Which is Ravenclaw. Yeah. Okay, there it is then. That's all okay, I need to hear. We're split three ways. I will say, uh, I won't read it, but there's a description of her kind of, like, delusion and her being in a camel. And she's, like, transported to, like, in, in, in like, like the description of her as a camel India, right? in, in India. Well, it's, she, she talks about being Khartoum and Darfur and Damascus yeah. and, like, all these, like, yeah. exotic locales from where they were. And it's, I, the description is actually very beautiful. So read that. Yeah. Um, all right. Who do we got left before we have to get to the heavy hitters? Oh Daisy! Oh Daisy! Daisy is a gro- oh no. no! Daisy's the the, the, the yeah the uh, as Matt said the the prostitute with the heart of gold. She's a puff. Yeah, she's a puff. Yeah, I, I would agree. H puff. Strongest opinion in the room is what she believes. Yes, that's true. That's true. Whether it's death or Bullman or Mir. Mir. Yeah. yeah. Which is a good angle for a uh, prostitute. Well, right, it's, prof- it's professional courtesy, basically. Yeah, yeah. No. You're social tofu. Yeah. Um, all right, is that all the big big ones except for the man himself? Yeah. What about love? We don't meet love, though. Like, what about a... Gabriel? Chad. Griffin Chad. Chad. Gryffindor Chad. Transcendent. <laughs> Transcends. Dumbledore. Yeah, he's, got, he's Dumbledore. So that's it, it, assuming that Tinker Jar is Gabriel. Yeah, I'm not Take convinced. Jar, but I'm not convinced either, but who knows? Okay, so let's do it. John Death. What is John Death? 
he Gryffindor. is Gryffindor. Why? He's just about his shit, man. He gets kind of he gets kind of um, put off kilter by some unexpected experiences. Right. In, in his otherwise pretty just you know brazen romp through humanity. Right. But he never he stays the fucking course, and uh, he never really loses. He just gets kind of like just some shitty elements of himself get out of like jealousy and pettiness but he's still like yeah no i but i do my work and i get paid that's <laughs> <laughs> true dude he get he fucking gets his yeah you're right yeah. all right someone tried to fleece him and he was like i'll kill you yeah and then legit. the guy's like can i pay you half now he's like all right you barely left escape the grave yes you heard it here first, folks. Death is a Gryffindor. <laughs> not a Slytherin. <laughs> not a Slytherin. That's right. No. That's a hot that's a, that's a hot fucking take. Yeah. Um All right. I think that's everybody. That's everyone I care to speak about. That only leaves one thing, boys. Scores. Score time. Uh Don't, ta- don't take down scores. It's a heat reference. It's a heat line. Jesus. Damn! Did you see that recently? Yes. Did what you part is that? What part is that? It's the part where Al Pacino and and uh, Robert De Niro are talking, and he's like in the diner. Yeah, and Al, Al Pacino's like, "You know what you could do? Don't take down scores." And he's like, "You know, I can't do that." <laughs> there you go. That was that was really good. Amazing. You say you're not you're not good at impressions. You say. That's right. Are you kidding me? That was. You're being sarcastic. That was awful. No. All right, whatever. I'm All right. Pick you up, dude. You got so, it. So, uh, as per tradition, wait, we're, we're okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why are you laughing? Because you, you, you left at the key moment of the score giving. No, I, I was back. I was gone for one second. I know, I know. You're back. You're back. Yeah. All right. Um, um, so, as per tradition, Matt has to go last because it's his pick. Uh, I'm going to request that to go second. Because I oh, I don't really know I don't know exactly yet. So Paul, I need I need okay. a little I need a little benchmark. Um. Well, I uh, I love this book. Uh, I thought that honestly, I, it took me like fifty pages to get into the language of it because it's kind of difficult. It's like old timey language, and I didn't really comprehend it for for a while because I'm a bro idiot. But um, I thought that it was fucking amazing. For the for the for the majority of it, uh, probably one of my favorite books of the pod. Oh shit! Um, I just thought uh, it had everything that I liked. I feel like I didn't talk a lot this podcast, but I really did love this book. Um, I'm gonna give it a four point six eight seven nine eight seven six four. Dude, so whoa. I've never had that many decimals before. I think I got all those actually. <laughs> That's exactly how it will be recorded. Six. I got I got six eight seven nine eight six four. Wait, what did you say? Six four point six eight seven nine eight six four is what I have. Yeah, I mean, like I, uh, uh, I'm trying to relate it to Killing Commendatory, which I love, but and uh, I'm, I love that for personal reasons, and I gave that a four point seven. Yep. But this book just has better things in it. So it's like it's like a better book overall. <laughs> so 
Maybe I'll, okay. I'm gonna give it a four point seven. Okay, let's All go. Right. Uh, my my highest rated mat book. Ooh, spicy. Definitely. Interesting. Maybe we uh maybe we do Thanks that. Thanks to Matt's the... grandma. Shout out to Matt's yeah, grandma. Was, yeah, this was yeah. my choice basically. It's a really good book. Um, I uh feel similarly, Paul. Uh, this book for sure is in my top. I don't know, three probably that we've read for the show. Um, which, yeah, I'm I'm probably, I'm like almost exactly at a 4.7 to 4.6, 4. 4.65. Uh, let's just call it a 4.7 for, for, for uh, simplicity's sake. That's two 4.7s. Oh, shit. <laughs> Is that a first on the podcast? For... Maybe not, but possibly. Well, first of all, some of your highest scores. Secondly, you guys matching. Yeah, matching. Yep. We've me and Paul definitely are kind of probably the furthest apart usually, or maybe yeah, Paul and so maybe Paul funny. and Matt. My uh, my before you guys even started speaking, my idea was four point six. Is that better? Oh shit! Wow. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I was gonna give this. Let's fucking go. As Good usual, book. I was like 4.5, and then upon discussion, got an extra point. Yep. I think I'll, I'll say this. You know, this is the first book that we've read for the show that I finished and, and instantly knew I was going to read again. Yeah, that's uh, such an interesting metric. Like, and, and for me, that, that gives it that extra bump, that extra point bump, probably, because I was like toying with like 4.5, 4.6 too, Matt. But I finished it, and I, I was just like, I'm going to read this book again in my life, like for sure. And I don't know, I can only say that, I don't know if I can say that about any other book that we've actually read on the show. Um, yeah, the, the I would call them like the ones, like the leaf-throughs, like the ones that you will like, pl- I, like leaf that you, by leaf? Gravi- you gravitate, oh my God. Shout out. Shout out, Chris, Chris <laughs> Villa. Come on the show eventually. Uh, I would, uh, the ones that you just would pluck and like, just kind of like leaf through and then like there, there, there would be something good there. Yes. You, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, well, one thing I thought about reading this book was like, why haven't I heard of this book before? It felt like I was reading a classic. Mm-hmm. It didn't exist like, for like 50 years, basically. And I would Google it and I'd be like, nothing's coming up when I type in Unclay. Why yeah, is not that? Not really any reviews. That was the other thing, too. Yeah. Because it only existed like in 2018 after only being in print for a little while in 1931 like there's like not a lot of content out there reviewing the book or analyzing it no and i mean one of the other things that i try to do before we get on and talk is like at least take a gander at like the academic discourse around these books i i put them into the fuck you know because i'm a nerd and whatever but this book i found a bunch of like old reviews that were published and like there's one guy who wrote a book about it that's out of print and costs like $180. Of course. And um, then there's like two other academic articles about it. And that's it, which is very rare. And then some yeah. dog shit contemporary reviews that are like, death is weird. Like, just yeah. like, they were very bad. It's they just, were very bad. It's just glorified Goodreads reviews. Yeah, Goodreads reviews can, are way better than whatever shit I was reading in like... Yeah. Kirkus review or whatever yeah. the fuck. Yeah, right. Seriously. Which goes, because that's the number one 
That's the bl- the only blurb. Well, that's actually not true. But the the this, the thing on the front is a is the Kirkus review, which I also read and was bad. But apparently, Borges liked this book a lot. Oh, that was what I forgot to I wanted to say. Yeah, was that uh, yeah, this was a dude that Borges fucked with heavy. Yeah, I think the parable thing is is why. Yep. So fuck, good fucking book, boys. Loved yeah, it. Yeah, good pick, Matt. Thanks. Thanks. Shout out to. My grandma. Shout out to Nana. Hopefully, one yeah. day you'll review one of my picks that high. Ooh. You can only hope. All right. Well, you also <laughs> voted one of my books the lowest before you started true. the show. That's so. true. Well, I will say that I think after reading a bunch of books since that book, I would I would reassess my opinion of, of the. Of you the should score flip through it, or revisit it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, maybe I, <laughs> I slated another one of his for the future. Yep, so I saw that. I oh, saw that. God. Fucking stab me in the belly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. No, this was a fucking... This was bananas. Read the book. Uh, yes. Shoutouts. Thank you, New Directions, for republishing it. No thanks for not sponsoring the show yet. Right. Uh, yeah, this fuck point, you. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's like love and death. They both exist in tandem. Like, go fuck yourself, but also... Super good job. Please sponsor the show. Preach. Yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, that was uh, Unclay by T.F. Powis on the Spinecrackers podcast. Tune in next time. Tune in or next subscribe time. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. YouTube, Patreon, patreon.com slash spinecrackers, youtube.com, spinecrackers. Leave a comment, leave a like, sub, uh, as because we're your doms. Yeah. yeah, because if if you subscribe, we'll have more of them, which would be cool for us. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Numbers go up, money good, good, positive. Stonks going in the right direction. That's fucking right. Jouissance and castration, and B- voice, and signifier, and so- bye. Bye, everybody. We love you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>